Whether you're on the go with a summer vacation or decide to spend your free time with a staycation, the No-So's got you covered. Relive your favorite era of wrestling with New Gen on a Mission, Wrestling Warzone, Extreme Three-Way Dance, or the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast. Keep in touch with the modern era with GC Dub, Clotheslines and Headlines, You Know What That Means, and Viewer's Choice. Or sit down and nerd out with No Holds Barred, WWE War, or The Wrestler That Was. It's summertime, and the living is easy. Because you've got the North-South Connection. NorthSouthConnection.com Podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at PlaceToBeNation.com The only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude. Come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 yo. Place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Well, well, we call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be, yeah. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do worse than John Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Crisco. And this is the Place to Be Welcome back to the great episode of the one and only Place to Be Podcast. I am your co-host, Justin Rocco, with you here in the PTBN studios. And joining me, as always, is my PIC, Mr. Scott Griscolo. Scott, how are you? It's fine September of 2023. Yes. Good evening, JR. Hello, PTB Wrestling Network friends and family. Welcome to episode 635 of the longest-running episodic of the fucking gold standard. 65 to 7 bills. <laughs> I can't even imagine what the fuck we're going to do. Anyway, <laughs> um, I have no idea. Uh, JR, it is a pleasure. We love the fall. Um, weather changes. Football. Jets and Cowboys. Um, yes. And Saints. Because this gentleman on with us tonight is a Saints fan. And yeah, is we... Uh, I think he is. No, Let's he ask is. him. I was being facetious. Oh, okay. uh, because he's a big-time Saints fan. That's that is... Good. The uh, Jambalaya man himself, he is a man of many podcasts across all of our networks. He's been here yes. multiple times. Our yep. good buddy, Mr. Bayou, Jake Williams. Jake, how are you? Hello, Jambalaya. Maybe you can drive my car. See what I did there for my new quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> how do you feel about that? So, yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> you know. He's been in the match. We'll my suspended running back. It's all good, though. It's all good. <laughs> you know, paying the dues for the uh over a decade of relevance but that's okay i'm doing well um always nice Good. to be on the flagship 
And yes. before yeah, you know it, right. it'll be it'll be lash the rue season for you as well. So, <laughs> right? Yes, that's a, that's a state of mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And of course, you can hear all about lash the rue on GC Dub Game Changing Podcast over the North South Connection once a yep. month. Uh, Jenny and Sue's going through uh, GCW's recent events, so check that out. Uh, all right. In this world, uh, we are just kicking off 2010, and we decided to do a unique concept. Uh, before we get to Royal Rumble, which is the first pay-per-view of the year for WWE, we're going to chronicle one of the more infamous nights in modern wrestling, and that was when Raw went head-to-head with Impact on January 4th, 2010. It was a pretty big deal for both shows and both promotions. We'll get to that in a few minutes. First, we're going to head back in time to 1996, Scott. We're in a new yes. year in our vintage timeline as well. Uh, what was going on in the world of wrestling this week in 1996? Well, uh, JR, the answer is nothing. There was nothing on this date, January 4th, 1996. No WWF house show, no WCW house show. Uh, you know what, though? Before we before we do that, though, I should have looked. Maybe, uh, let's see if there was uh, anything going on in ECW. That's usually my third plan when I don't have house shows for the others. So let's go to ECW. There was no GC dub. <laughs> um, let's go to ECW and see if there was anything on January 4th of 1996. And the answer is no, there wasn't. However, uh, we won't go over it. But the next day, January 5th of 1996, was a show I believe you guys did on the uh, freeway. House Party 96, yes. Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, we did cover yeah. that in Extreme Three-Way Dance. Again, that's also on Hotel Connection. Also with Jenny and Susan and myself uh, going through a history of ECW. It's every other Thursday. And House Party 96 is a big one um, because that is uh, Public Enemy's last uh, ECW show. So mm-hmm. they leave. And it was interesting because they had actually debuted on the January 1st Nitro. So they had already been on WCW TV when they wrap up with the ECW uh, I believe it's also Shane Douglas's return. We talked about that briefly in our last episode. Uh, he comes back to ECW on that show. So it's it's a pretty big one as far as ECW early early on their shows go. Um, and then, of course, I mentioned that January 1st Nitro. Those are b- pretty big episodes as well. So January 1st Nitro, um, they really loaded up. I believe it's either Savage Flair or Hogan Flair. It's some combo of that, uh, which is kind of a big deal. And they really ramped that show up. And then um, on Raw is the Rubble. Uh, so Diesel beats Mabel in the main event. And the Rubble is with all the teams dressed up like within the football pennies. Um, and they do like the timeouts and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. um, those, those are pretty big night of the Monday Night Wars. That Raw, I believe, is also the first Vader vignette. And is the debut of Billionaire Ted. Um, so there's yeah. a lot going on on that Raw. On that Raw. Um, he goes head to head with Nitro, and I mentioned the Nitro that that is Hogan versus Flair in the main event. So that's that's the main event: Savage versus Arn, Regal versus Benoit, Luger and Sting versus the Assassins, uh, which I believe were Warlord and uh, Barbarian <laughs> teaming up. Um, we can ask Keithy if that's if that's true. But mm. uh, I mentioned it because Bischoff on commentary. This is an infamous one where he. he takes a shit on the raw bowl i think mongo does call the toilet bowl uh so he takes his <laughs> shots at it so it's, it's a, and, and bischoff spoils the, the winner so it's a pretty big night in like monday night wars history that january 1st 96 episode on both sides mm. yeah and i think uh, it's, i think it's just fitting because what we're covering tonight like this raw versus impact is like a reigniting of those old days and um 
that January 1st one is really stands out in the war because of the billionaire Ted and Bischoff spoiling and all that. So it's just, it's kind of a fitting raw nitro to have happened the week of this. Mm. Uh, I'm looking through the notes here. So uh, this ECW, this house party 96 mm-hmm. was used for hardcore TV episodes. I'm sure you know this. And uh, one thing you did forget, uh, one thing you, you, you didn't mention, I'll probably jar your memory when I say it. This was also RVD's debut. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, defeated uh, Axel Rotten. Also, one probably one of the greatest uh, one of the greatest promos ever. Um, Public Enemy wrestled uh, the Gangsters in the main event. Uh, of they won. Uh, Public Enemy cut. <laughs> this is great. Prior to the bout, Public Enemy cuts an in-ring promo saying the ECW arena was the house they built with the char chain both you sold out and you'll be back. That's an even worse. <laughs> yeah. That's an even worse cut than you sold out. Right after their entrance. Uh, yeah. <laughs> after this is awesome after their entrance new jack cut a promo in the public enemy leaving for wcw by saying this is great when you see those pussy bitches harlem heat tell them i invented this. <laughs> and he goes i, I, I uh, well let me get to the last one and then he says i called santa claus the other day and asked what do you think of sensational sherry and she said he said oh ho ho, ho. <laughs> oh shit that's good i do Thanks. think um I don't think Public Enemy actually ever does go back. I don't think so. I know they're in WCW until 99. They get that cup of coffee in WWF in 99. Maybe they go back for the tail run, but I don't I don't think they do. So I don't think they do either. Ironically oh. enough, that, that was the end. They did not go back. Them um, being in WCW until 99 is insane. But, I mean, right. that's like WCW. <laughs> yeah, everyone's just there forever. Um, not to spoil too much, Jake. I know you're on a journey where you're watching ECW for the first time ostensibly, right? Yes, I am. I just re- I got into it, and then I kind of took a break as these things go, as I'm sure you guys know. And I'm, I'm dipping mm-hmm. back into it, so I'm hoping to keep it going. But it's a pretty quick watch. I'm hoping I can get through it pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, I I think you will. Um, you know, if you if you kind of just stick to the TV and then the the big shows that are on the on the Peacock, I think you'll you'll get through it pretty quick. Because a lot of the TVs, for as long as those big arena shows are on peacock the tvs like the scott's point show a lot of what you've seen so you'll be able to kind of buzz through some of the right. tvs yeah um, at least until the pay-per-view era then then you got to kind of watch more of the tv because they don't repeat as much but right um then you get to 99 where everything doubles when they go to tnn so <laughs> that's where yeah. i had it yeah and the weekend shows are like absolute shit by that point uh the, the fan the uh, crowd was chanting dean is dead when shane douglas came mm-hmm. out yeah they're excited dead. when he returned so yeah, dean is dead all right. Uh, why don't we head to our herb notes then? We got three batches for you here tonight, Jake. Uh, we're going to start with December fifteenth in your house on Sunday. British Bulldog challenging Bret Hart for the WWE title. Razor Ramon versus Goldust. He still has as the IC title match, um, which is n- not the case in in any realm. Um, and then he has Ramon with Marty against Kid and Sid. So I don't know if you thought Ramon was doing double duty. I don't know if that's a dark match. I'd have to look at that card. Um, he was late to the show on this one. Like on the last episode, Scott, the last herb notes, like he didn't have mm-hmm. the card even close. No, uh, but maybe that's how it came together. I'd have to listen back to Warzone and see. But um, Henry Godwin versus Hunter Helmsley in a slot match. Ahmed Johnson versus Dean Douglas and Diesel versus Owen Hart. And then he does mention again, this is Douglas's final show. Rumors abound that DF is bringing in Steve Austin and Cactus Jack, and we'll see the return of Demolition. Add to this the recurrent talk of Public Enemy being very close to signing with WCW, and things will be getting interesting for ECW. And of course, he's right here. Austin comes in at the end of '95. Cactus would be in by March, um, and then obviously no demolition. But Crush does come <laughs> back in the summer of 
96. So I guess maybe there were early rumors um, of him potentially, but we'll see. Mm. Uh, Starcade on December 27th. He's been all over the place uh, with this card. He now is uh, realizes no Hulk Hogan, not even an appearance. Randy Savage will face the winner of the triangular match between Ric Flair, Sting, and Lex Luger. <laughs> and then we get the seven on seven, which we chronicled quite a bit on our last episode. But it's Sting versus Ken, uh, Kensuke Sasaki, Alex Wright versus Koji Kanemoto, Randy Savage versus Hiroshi Tenzan, Lex Luger versus Masahiro Chono, Johnny B. Bad versus Masa Saito, Eddie Guerrero versus Shinjiro Otani. And Chris Benoit versus Jushin Liger. Uh, Raw versus Nitro. Your most recent rating was Nitro beating Raw 2-6-2-4 on December 4th. Monday Raw now airs live in the wider Toronto area on CKVR from Barry. Dumped, uh, he just gets some notes on it in general. The Observer reports that OEF received complaints about the chairs and Diesel swearing at Survivor Series and muses about the difficulty of putting out a slightly rougher product while not alienating sponsors. The WF has the Royal Rumble on January 21st. He still has the lineup as Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels and Diesel versus Undertaker. So still thinking of those Mania matches at the Rumble. Uh, Clash on the next uh, two days later, January 23rd. Uh, Super Brawl, February 11th. And In Your House on February 18th. So pretty uh, quick batch there, guys. But anything jump out at you? Uh, demolition in, uh, in 1996 <laughs> uh, would have been quite an interesting uh, visual, but yeah, just all her trying to predict everything. I, I'm 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 assuming that he means smash and crush. I'm guessing. I, I'm yeah, I mean Axe is long retired, so yeah, he's yeah. And crush, I mean, like I said, crush doesn't return too far from this, so. I could see maybe like the internet churning a bit, like, oh, there's rumors that Brian Adams is back after he gets out of jail kind of thing, right? So maybe it's just a little bit of the rumors. And there is a time in here somewhere where he shows up in the crowd with the, the crush gear on, and then they kind of change it up and all that. So I, I don't know. Um, again, the internet is so wild west at this point. It's hard to know yeah. what's coming from where. I but. agree. Definitely was. Yep. All right, De- December 21st, in your house on this past Sunday. I'd give the show a thumbs up since two of the matches were quite good. Surprises included the return of Jeff Jarrett working in angle with Ahmed Johnson that came off flat since Johnson poorly sold Jarrett's chair shots for a few seconds before deciding he was Hulk Hogan. SMW's Boo Bradley debuted as Santa Claus, demolishing Savio Vega. The Million Dollar Corporation looks really important if they set up a no one like Savio with an elaborate ruse like this. Oh, well, both of these new guys should add something to the EF. So in the end, I'm still slightly positive, although the first feuds look terrible. On the plus side, Bret Hart delivered a great match, something that previous champ Diesel was continually unable to do. I don't think they need to bother with the juice. Ghoulish comments on the net praised the match seemingly for the mere reason that there was blood. The Helmsley versus Godwin match was a surprise. On the downside, Undertaker versus Mabel was bad. Worse yet, Undertaker will get a title shot against Bret Hart at the Royal Rumble, and Diesel was mad about it. Yikes. Oh, well, Lee Shawn Michaels is supposed to get the title shot at WrestleMania. It does nothing for me to see reasonably untalented guys bitching over who deserves the title shot. This will lead to an Undertaker versus Diesel program. Another stinker, it would seem. Sid versus one, and 1-2-3 Kid lost decisively to Razor Ramon and Marginetti, so Common Sense says they'll win the tag titles in the near future. Still on positive. Brett stays champ, delivers a great match, and promises to work hard on top. Helmsley shows a lot. Jarrett returns and takes the first spot at the Rumble, which can only be a good thing. Rumors on wrestler movement. The latest scuttlebutt on Steve Austin is that he'll debut in the Million Dollar Corporation, working the same Million Dollar Championship gimmick that Ted DiBiase used years back. Cactus Jack, his WWF debut will take place before mid-year. 
The Public Enemy and Conan will apparently debut at the January Clash of Champions. Although Paul Heyman claims to have the pro wrestling rights to Public Enemy name, talk is that WCW try to get the rights directly from Def Jam Records, who produces the rap group's album. Conan will supposedly get pushed straight to the U.S. title, currently held by Kensuke Sasaki. Since Conan is a guy who handles Triple O's talent uh, usage outside of the promotion, it seems likely WCW will also bring in other talent from that group and have the exclusive ability to do so. Dave Meltzer suggested giving Conan the U.S. title as a way to solidify the relationship to get better talent like Rey Mysterio Jr. and Psychosis and screw ECW in the process. David Finley is also expected to come into WCW in January. Finley works in the UK and has routinely been used in the New Japan Junior Division over the years. He's always struck me as a good performer. You can never tell for sure because his opposition in that group is so good. The Bushwhackers are reportedly being brought into WCW. And this is a favor to Hulk Hogan. That does not happen. But they actually do return to WF in 96. Um, well, I don't know if they ever left in 95, but I know they stick around in 96 a bit. Mm-hmm. Alundra Blaze, or Medusa Maselli, debuted in WCW on Monday night. It's unclear what her role will be in the promotion. This talk that Adam Baum is coming to WCW. The WF may recreate the demolition team, presumably using Bill Eady and Barry Darso. So this is still hanging around, this rumor, a week later. And these notes feel like they're all from the Observer, so I don't, I don't know what's going on. Um, Hmm. Besides Boo Bradley, Dodef also picked up Smoky Mountain used to be's Buddy Landell and Tom Pritchard. They've also apparently <laughs> offered Jim Cornette a booking position. The Observer reports there's talk that smoking guns want to leave, uh, but suggests that they and others are just unhappy with recent payoffs. The second week of Monday Night Raw airing live in the Greater Toronto area was, in fact, a live show. Unfortunately, it was not particularly good. In his first match back with the WF, Jeff Jarrett wrestled fought two and did a terrible job selling the punches. At one point, it's bad enough that Vince, who rarely ever talks about the matches, except to occasionally escape with a maneuver, pointed out that Jarrett was showing ring rust. The highlight of the whole show was a video tribute to Shawn Michaels, as this angle has been really well done. Starcade, he has the same card. Uh, Nitro lost, uh, beat Raw 2-6-2-5 on the 11th. Uh, Royal Rumble, he now has Bret Hart versus The Undertaker in the Rumble match. Clash of Champions, tentative lineup, Nasty Boys versus Public Enemy. Super Brawl, February 11th. In Your House, February 18th. And it's expected the Royal Rumble winner will get get a WF title shot in your house, which, again, doesn't make sense. Dirty F, uh has WrestleMania, Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels, so WF title, and Diesel versus Undertaker. So, again, a lot going on here. Um, maybe he thinks Shawn isn't going to win the Rumble, I guess, and that's why he's like, been projecting Sean versus Brett at the Rumble and now saying the Rumble winner will get a title match at In Your House and then Sean gets the match at Mania. So, I don't know. It's been interesting, Jake. Uh, any, any thoughts on that batch there? So, I'm trying to think going back, if I heard this right. So, does, does Herb think that uh, Xanto was going to be a good role player for them? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> young guy coming in. Uh, I guess. I, I think he likes <laughs> Herb is a big mark for Smoky Mountain because he went to those stupid fucking right. fan convention weekend or whatever. <laughs> um, so I think he just really likes, you know, Boo Bradley, who would eventually come Balls Mahoney. Uh, I'm sure he won't like him in DCW, but uh, he likes Boo Bradley. So maybe he's thinking like him, just he'll get a chance to work, I guess, uh, yeah. which it never goes anywhere, obviously. So the, uh, the other one that stood out to me was him shitting all over the idea of uh, Diesel Taker, which turns out to be pretty good right. in reality. So, but. He just hates battle, big guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's yeah. he's like the original. Like guys like Keith and others catch shit, right. but like Herb is like the original work rate internet guy. Like he only wants like the junior guys, the wor- in ring workers. He hates any mm-hmm. big dudes. Like it, it's all yeah. Everybody's Riger, um, but uh, yeah, I mean he's. I don't. Who do then? Who's 
I'm curious. I'm curious. That's the last set of notes. Then who does Herb have on his mind that is going to win the Rumble? Because it, 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 I thought yeah. it was pretty clear that it was going to be when I was watching at the time. It was pretty clear that it was going to be Sean. So I don't. It's obvious. Don't, the only thing I think of is that he thinks maybe he's not going to be back in time from this angle. I, I don't know. It's the whole thing's weird. I, I'm with you, Scott. Like I don't know who yeah. he thinks is going to win, but to me, it's clear he doesn't think it's going to be Sean. No. I mean, does he think Brett holds it through Mania? I doubt it. I don't know. Uh, but the uh, it was curious. The one the one story that struck out at me was when you were saying like the smoking guns didn't like the payoffs. We're in a bad time for well, WCW obviously had, at the moment maybe had a little better cash flow, but I mean, I don't know what anybody was expecting. I mean, WWF was in, you know. I don't want to say they were broke by any stretch, but they definitely were not. This isn't 1986 and it wasn't going to be the 2000s. So, right. I mean, I don't know what they were expecting. I'm sure the payoffs were just fine for what they were, but that was the first time I've ever heard anybody come. That's the first time I think we, I feel like we've heard a story in late 95, early 96, where people were complaining about money. Um, you mentioned on our last show about the it didn't come up again. I don't think I don't think you mentioned it. I didn't hear it, but about the uh, the perjury and the steroid trial and all that crap. With mm-hmm. I feel like that, I feel like that feet fizzled out because that was that was totally not real. Right. Um, but uh, he had a lot of WWF news. I feel like he didn't. He wasn't quite sure how WCW was going to shake in '96. But um, yeah, he's he definitely thinks somebody else is winning the Rumble. He just doesn't know who, which is weird pretty clear it was sean so i don't know what he was thinking <laughs> yeah it's just like i would have thought maybe he realized okay he's coming back but then that whole comment about in your house getting the title shot but then still having brett sean for mania like again maybe he was hearing rumors like of sean putting up the title shot and in your house which is what happens where sean defends against owen so maybe like the rumors were swirling that the winner was going to defend the title shot at, at in your house you know right um, that's so possible. maybe that's what confused him but yeah anyway all right, let's get to our last batch here. December 29th, um, he said it's really just a quick Starcade wrap-up. Starcade was last night. Give the show a definite thumbs up, even though a few of the tournament matches were not great. Otani versus Guerrero was super. Kanemoto versus Wright, excellent. Lego versus Benoit, very good match with a disappointing finish. Flair, Luger, Singh, surprisingly good triangular match, even when Luger was in. When Flair is up for a show, he can still deliver an awesome performance. The apparent ascension of the Horsemen. With Flair's WC title win, one can only hope that the Horsemen will get a better position in the mix. I can even take the occasional screw job involving them. It'll be hard to create the right balance for my taste. Brian Pillman looks very good in his brief run into the pay-per-view, having lost a lot of weight, including the small gut he'd develop over time. Lowlights, the commentary. Dusty Rhodes is an unwelcome addition to the commentator's table. He added nothing positive to the show and a lot of negative. Ah, Tony Schiavone spouted a few New Japan facts and claimed to have done his homework. At least he knows the difference between a German suplex and a dragon suplex. Hmm. It doesn't help when his co-commentators <laughs> crack jokes about the move names and response. Tony was out of it when Kenimoto went for a tiger suplex. The pre-match bit with Sonny Ono versus Kimberly, I thought it was incredibly tasteless. From a booking standpoint, I find it stupid that they spent a lot of time building up Saito as experienced captain of the New Japan team and then lose to Johnny B. Bad with a senseless DQ. Made the commentators look idiotic. Not that I minded that. Sting mentioning that the internet had a top 10 list of reasons why I should change his hair color. What's the point? Oh, well, it was nowhere near as bad as Hulk Hogan's surreal interview last time around. The big news continues to be all the talent rumor, movement rumors I listed last week. WF has a Royal Rumble. Bret Hart versus The Undertaker, Royal Rumble match. Clash, Nasties versus Public Enemy. Super Brawl 211. In Your House 218. WrestleMania, Bret Hart versus Royal Rumble winner. 
Shawn Michaels question mark for the WF title and Diesel <laughs> versus The Undertaker. So not much cooking here um, besides the, the real, again, nerdiness of Herb as a wrestling fan creeping in. Um, oh. But this continued disbelief that Shawn Michaels is going to win the right. Royal Rumble. One of the most like obvious winners in history. Yeah, yeah. it's like Michaels of all the predictable ones. What an idiot. What a fucking yeah, idiot. Is, uh, not triangular buying. match pops me so much. I don't know oh, why. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Very scientific. Uh, I like how he, I like how he writes out things like huh. <laughs> he writes out. Huh. Well, that was me adding that in. That was, oh, like, okay. My, <laughs> that was my nerd. That was, that was my nerd. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was that was commentary. I thought he actually wrote it, which would have made even more sense. He, when, when I do the ah, that is him. He puts the R yeah. in there a lot. Um, yeah. But no, Conan O'Brien nerd voice. That's her. <laughs> oh, he's such a fucking nerd. All right. Uh, anyway, I would assume when he looks at a great angle wrestler that he loves, he's saying, yo, hey, lover. <laughs> Just like El Kluge did this week in 1996. The number three song in the nation. We've already covered the top two. And that is our one of our favorite anthems of the Place to Be podcast or history. Hey Lover by LL Cool J. I've been watching you for a For as long as I can remember. You're all a real man can need. And never ask for it. This is love. This is more than Uh, so the uh, do you think that when LL says there's more than just a crush, Herb was saying that as well? Maybe like demolition is gonna be more than just a crush. <laughs> Santa more than a crush. <laughs> more than a crush on Boo Bradley. Oh God! No, it's not the same as looking off in the distance and seeing uh, Spike shoulder pads. Anyway, uh, thank you, Jr. Um, yes, uh, Hey Lover is back at number three. It was number three in our last episode as well, uh, because the two previous uh, <clears throat> still numbers one and number two. One Sweet Day, Mariah Carey and Boys to Men, and Exhale, the Shoop Shoop song by Whitney uh, Houston. At number four uh, in the this, by the way, this top ten. Is the week ending January 6th, 1996. Uh, we had uh, Gangsta's Paradise from Coolio, of course, from Dangerous Minds. Digging on You by TLC at five. Free. This was a big thing back. back God, I remember this was nuts. Free as a Bird by the Beatles at six. If you remember, everybody, back in late 95, ABC uh, did that big documentary on the history of the Beatles, and they started calling themselves A Beatles C again, which they used to do back in the 60s. Uh, uh, the radio station in New York City, WABC, they used to call themselves A Beatles C. Um, and they found this un, this demo that they that Paul McCartney kind of played with, and it was one of the last things that John Lennon had sang, and it was called "Free as a Bird." And they they did a music video, and it's a whole big oh my god, it was a huge big fucking deal back in like Thanksgiving time of 1995. And then it, it hit the charts, and this was their first top ten hit since. Was Fuck Daddy uh, involved in this? <laughs> I don't know. That was his thing back then. Oh uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, this was their last. I think this is their first uh, top ten hit, probably since Let It Be, which would have been 1970. So, anyway, that was number six, and they made a big date, a big box set come out with all the things and a book and all this shit. It was crazy. Anyway, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something mm-hmm. at number seven. Uh, that's a Jake favorite right there. Uh, Fantasy by Mariah Carey at number eight. Before You Walk Out of My Life 
by Monica at nine and name by the Goo Goo Dolls. That was an earworm mm -hmm. at number 10. So there's your top 10 for the week ending uh, February, uh, January 6th, 1996. Goo Goo Dolls is one of those ones you're like, oh, I don't know this. And then you realize they like four or five songs. You absolutely know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's them. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, you think like, they have like one or two hits and they actually have like eight or something. Yep. Yeah. They because they all sound the same. Uh my favorite doesn't come for a few years. All right. So let's go now from the uh uh from the radio to the big screen and see what was going on in movies the first weekend of 1996. At number 10, the Amer some of these movies we saw we talked about in the last episode. At number 10, the American president talked about that, Michael Douglas and uh Annette Benning. Number nine, Tom and Huck. Totally forgot about that. At number nine. Number eight, Sabrina. No, not the Teenage Witch. Number seven, Heat. Number six, Father of the Bride Part Two. Number five, Waiting to Exhale. Number four, Toy Story. Number three, Jumanji, which debuted the weekend uh, that we did our last show two weeks ago. Number two, Grumpier Old Men. Mm. The sequel with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Uh, I think Sophia Loren was the one in that one. Uh, along with Anne Margaret, I think. And the number one movie of the weekend, and uh, ugh, I was not a fan of this movie, and the, the TV show was even worse. The movie is called 12 Monkeys, mm. and that is uh, that has Bruce Willis in it. It's about time travel, and I love time travel, but I did not like the movie, and the TV show that ended up being on sci-fi was even worse. So not, not uh, decent movies to start the year, but we know the movies get better. Not as good as Dial M for Monkey, which Macho Man was in around the same time. <laughs> Dial M for Monkey. Anyway, so there you go. So there's your top 10 movies uh, the first weekend of 1996. Uh, no taking the field. The NFL, the regular season is over. So sorry, Jake. But uh, it was wild card weekend uh, in 1996. Uh, at this same time on Saturday, I'm sorry, not wildcard weekend, divisional weekend. It was divisional weekend. Um, on Saturday, the Steelers beat the Bills 40 to 21, and the Packers upset the 49ers 27 to 17. Then on mm. Sunday, the Cowboys beat the Eagles 30 to 11, and the Colts beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead. 10. That was a big upset. Uh, no, that, oh no, the Colts beat, um, yeah, I guess it was, right? Was that the upset? Is the division around? Because they it yeah, they were not projected to play the Steelers in the AFC no. championship game. It was like kind of a big surprise. No. And then they, they gave him a bit of a game too, I think, in that. So Oh, they did. It was they threw a, a Harbaugh through the bomb and it was almost caught. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that weekend. So the NFC championship, I remember, of course, was Packers, Cowboys, and Dallas. And then the Steelers hosted the Colts in the AFC championship on the two uh Super Bowl number thirty. Uh, let us see NBA basketball uh, as we are halfway through the 1995-96 NBA season. Uh, let's take a look at the scores, uh, from this date, January 4th, 1996. Uh, let's see, uh, some of our locals, uh, JR's Hornets. Uh, got beat up by the Bulls, 117 to 93. The Knicks won. Uh, Lakers and Celtics did not play. So uh, here were the standings uh, as of this date. The Magic were leading the Atlantic, the defending Eastern Conference champions, at 24 and 6. Through 
30 games of the season, the Bulls were 27 and three. They were already getting that look mm -hmm. uh, comfortably ahead of the Pacers. Rockets at 23 and nine, the defending champs were leading the Midwest. And the Sonics at 22 and eight were leading the Pacific. Uh, so there's your look at the NBA. Let's take a look at what was going on on the Frozen Pond. Again, halfway through the 95-96 uh, NHL season. And the uh, games looked like this. Just three. Uh, Blues beat the Blackhawks. Flyers and Avalanche played to a tie. Canadians and Islanders played to a tie. So the standings. Uh, the Rangers leading the Atlantic uh, with 58 points, five ahead of the Flyers. Penguins lead the Northeast with 53, 12 ahead of the Canadians. Red Wings lead the Central with 57 points, uh, nine ahead of the Blackhawks. And the Avalanche leading the Pacific with 50 points, uh, 13 points ahead of the Kings. And finally, uh, we continue tracking the wonderful show, Beverly Hills 90210. Of course, you can hear 9021 No So with JR, Mr. Capel, and a rotating guest panel. Uh, they are not on season six. <laughs> no. season. Uh, uh, we're nearing the end of season two, though, for yes. sure. It's every three weeks. It's on its own feed. It's search 902 and no so yes. chronologically through the show. Yes. I look forward to that. Uh, okay. So uh, this is a rare show, this episode, because you can't find it much anywhere, and I'll tell you why at the end. The episode is called Turn Back the Clock. And it aired on January 3rd, 1996, the 16th episode of the season. Claire is back in town and is met by the gang who fill her in on what went down while she was on a trip with her father, where she took some time to have phone sex on New Year's Eve with Steve. Brandon is pissed that Susan's ex-boyfriend, Jonathan, keeps hanging around and things go badly enough that he punches the guy and almost calls it quits with her. Mm. Steve is on teen, Steve is on teen patrol for his father with his two obnoxious teen half-brothers around wasn't one of them uh yeah it was uh what's his name what's his face uh i keep want to say seth green but that's wrong um shit it's like it's like a younger brother of an actor right yeah fuck i'm I can't blank i know what you're saying yeah that. yeah um uh they cause a lot of trouble but steve comes to feel some sympathy for them and only punishes them with some housework pets uh joe's pet bird uh, to Donna's interferes with both Steve and Claire's sex life. This is another throwaway episode. And David's New Year's plans with Valerie, who's already annoyed because Kelly is wrongly blaming her for Colin's drug issues. Valerie and David get back on good terms, and Valerie shuts Kelly up by handing over Colin's drug stash and saying that it's Kelly's problem to deal with now. Uh, I was mentioning oh, it's, that... Uh, it's, it's Tori Spelling's brother, Randy Spelling. Randy Spelling, that's right. Wasn't the other one... Um... Why is the younger brother always Randy? Like, same as uh, Noel's Bard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking hey, Christmas Randy. story. It's always Randy. The little brother's always Randy. Randy. The bag of the was... Yes. And then it was uh, Randy on that 70s show. Yeah. I thought the other... I can't think of his name. Anyway. Uh, so this is a rare episode uh, that you cannot find anywhere right now because it features a special appearance... By the Coors, <clears throat> the band The Coors. Ooh, yeah. Now, of course, as we all know, uh, most 90210 episodes that had either a song or a band in it uh, obviously cannot be streamed unless you want to pay for it. So this episode is not streaming anywhere. It is not. It was not on Hulu, and I looked because the show is currently on Paramount Plus, and this episode is skipped. So the only way you can watch this episode is if you own the DVD. 
the box set, which I do. Um, and uh, or if you're friends with Tim Cable, or if you're friends with Tim Cable, who's the greatest. So, but there is some. Um, obviously, the most infamous episode not streaming, which is one of the best, is the one I always like to Puerto bring Rican up. Day Uh, no, <laughs> no, the season three one with uh, Color Me Bad, when Donna yes, finds course. her mom uh, cheating on her uh, on her dad no. in the hotel. Yeah. Oh no, but, Donna, yeah, yeah, yeah. on Donna, yeah, John. Anyway, uh, so there you go. So this episode is not streaming. So if you don't have the DVD set, it's hard to find unless you know Tim Cable. Anyway, that is it for your Pop Culture Corner. All right, let's fast forward to 2010. January 4th is the date exactly. And we're going to kick things off by looking into Monday Night Raw. Remember <laughs> that theme? Um, yeah, that's pretty much where you're mixing with excitement and dread <laughs> to put on Raw. Uh, still only two hours, though, thankfully. And we're going to kick off this January 4th episode of Monday Night Raw, uh, which also marks the first in ring appearance of a certain superstar, which we'll talk about in a moment, on Raw since October 27th, 19. 97. So we'll get to that one second. We open the video package detailing the history of Vince McMahon, Shawn Michaels, and that man, Bret Hart, and Montreal, including Shawn telling Vince, bring Bret back for closure. Only good things can happen if Bret comes back. And that was on a recent uh, episode of Raw, which also featured one of my favorite moments, Scott, that we've talked about a lot on here when Vince introduces Shawn as uh, my partner in crime when he comes out. Yes. Uh, Yes. I believe that was actually back in 05 when he did that before the yep. Godfrey, but uh, one of my all-time favorites. Yes. The yep. uh, Anyway, so it is the return of Bret Hart, like I mentioned. It's his first appearance on Raw since October 27th, 97. Besides a pre-tape promo in 07 on Raw, he was on. But uh, for the most part, this is it, uh, his big return. And we mentioned it. Like This was TNA's. We'll talk about TNA in a minute, but right, they decided that they were going to move Impact. They were red hot. Uh, as a product, they were doing well. They were bringing Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff to run the creative and be stars. And they wanted to go head to head. Bischoff said, let's go head to head yet again. Take on Raw, shove it down their throat. So WWE answers, you know, as usual, right? They're not going to lay down. They're going to answer. <clears throat> so they decided for the first time in, you know, 13 years, we're going to have Bret Hart come back to WWE and bring him back and work an angle. So here we go. We open inside the arena. Uh, for the first time in 12 years, we are in uh, the Nutter Center in Dayton. So I thought that was fitting as well, because one of Bret Hart's best career nights in the WF was in this arena at King of the Ring 93. Uh, so he comes out, soaks in the moment, a uh, huge pop for Bret. Says, hell's frozen over, but it feels great to come talk to the fans. He thanks them for never forgetting him and carrying him through all these years. Bret's filled with memories. He mentions winning that King of the Ring in the building. He makes a joke about Jerry Lawler attacking him, and then he kind of says hi and smirks. And Brent says he's here tonight to get 12 years of stuff off his chest. <clears throat> and that's going to be uh, directed at Shawn Michaels. So he calls Shawn out to talk face-to-face. Out comes Shawn, also gets a big pop. He steps up to Brett. They stare down. Brett says he wants to take a chance to bury the hatchet and call for a truce. Shawn says before Brett gets his closure, Shawn has been waiting 12 years to say something to Brett. That he deserved what happened in Montreal. He disrespected Shawn. And the business. And yes, Sean had a role in the screw job. Brett says, I rest my case. And Sean says, part of him doesn't regret it. 
But the other part knows things have changed in the last 12 years. Sean says he always respected Brett. <coughs> excuse me. But Brett never respected him. And there were times where he couldn't stand the sight of him. And he knows the feeling was mutual. But when he thinks of Brett, he doesn't think of Montreal. He thinks of Anaheim and the Iron Man match that everyone said nobody would want to see on pay-per-view and nobody could pull off. But they did it. and They redefined everything that pro wrestling stood for. Sean thinks of Brett. He thinks uh, that he isn't the only one carrying around the weight for the last 12 years. And he's ready to move on. He wants to bury the hatchet. And all he has to say is, are you sure? <clears throat> and are you ready? Sean was not lovable back then, and he's had his issues, but the career should not be tagged by Montreal because they had great careers and accomplishments, and it's a good time to become friends and shake on it right here in Dayton. Brett puts out his hand. Sean pauses and shakes it to a pop. Sean goes to leave. He pauses, looks back at Brett, and then they hug. Pretty good tease. You think maybe we're going to get a super kick, but we don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sean leaves. Brett asks for one more thing. He calls out Vince McMahon, but Vince does not show up, so Brett leaves so a lot going on here i mean it's really an end of an era these two guys uh you know had been boiling and then kind of simmered but it was always there uh you know we recently covered this on uh ryan and jt's excellent adventure over north south connection we covered the confidential episode where sean admitted he's another screw job in 2002 uh of course then brett comes back in in 06 for the hall of fame but doesn't want to be involved in any product um so he's not part of anything with vince and he finally agrees to come back here um, they get their closure. Also, they do the DVD, right? We haven't talked about that. That's coming out around this time where they sit down and kind of go through the the whole issue that they had face-to-face. Um, and a lot of that, right, is is Brett unloading on Sean, who just seems lost through, through most of it. Um, mm-hmm. but it was great, great stuff. And I liked here, too, that Sean teased. Uh, not just a potential kick at the end, but even when he first comes out, right, he's like, I don't regret a thing. Like, you were an asshole. You fucked, you know, you, you fucking disrespected me you thought i was a punk and all this other stuff and i like that they acknowledged the heat right they didn't just kind of hand wash it uh, but basically said look we're old dudes we don't need the hate we're friends now like like they didn't retcon that they didn't always hate each other they did hate each other but they just passed it now so i like the way they went about it jake uh what did you think did were you a fan of them shaking hands out of the gate and ending the the feud or did you think that they should have juiced it more uh, out of his return uh, i think it's i'm I think at this point, I don't think you need to keep it going with any real heat. I did like that they didn't make it, uh, like you said, they did add some tension, you know, like teasing the super kick, Sean calling him out. Um, it did kind of remind me of the DVD, like a very sanitized version of the DVD in a way, like, because you kind of have Sean as more of the aggressor, mm-hmm. sort of like talking about all that. But I did like that it wasn't just them coming, going straight to hugging it out, because I think right, that would have right. been like disingenuous. But yeah, I don't think they should have. I mean, I think at this point, everybody's kind of ready to move on. So I think this yeah. is the way to go. Like, acknowledge the heat, but then kind of wrap it up with the bro hug like they did. I agree 100%. I was actually very happy uh, that this was this was, this was was the best way to go about it. Um, we've, we've sat through this shit for so long, and we've listened to a thousand people and the Joe Dombrowski's of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and all the talking it's over and all this shit and let's just do it just get it over with um but at the same time yeah brett sean wanted to say listen you've it's almost like sean said listen i've had to listen to you piss and moan for 12 years you're an asshole don't don't don't, don't sugarcoat to these fans that you were the victim you mm-hmm. weren't the victim 
And I'm glad Sean did that. And Brett kind of looked at him like, yeah, yeah, I guess. You know, it's but Sean's like, listen, I, I was not the aggressor. You didn't do what needed to be done. And that pissed me off. And but but Sean said the right thing. He's like, listen, though, I mean, it's been 13 years. We're both in the twilight. Whatever. We all screw, we, we were all a bunch of fuck ups back then, you know. And then he mentioned Anaheim. I thought he was going to say, I think of Anaheim, California, and the most boring 60 minutes of wrestling <laughs> I ever watched. In my life. <laughs> no, um, a match that I, I honestly can, if I never watch again, I'll be totally fine with. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I thought it was fine. I thought it was great. The fans were like pins and needles. Uh, I almost feel like they should have rebooked this Raw and put it in Montreal. No, that would have been stupid. Um, <laughs> I like the fact that they were in Dayton. They were at the Nutter Center. Um, uh, rest in peace, Wes. Uh, and you know, it was a great, it was a building of great moments for for Brett. But they did it the right way. They they acknowledged. They looked at each other and said, "You you know, you were an asshole. Yeah, well, you were an asshole. All right, so we were both assholes." And then they hugged. That's pretty much what it was. All right, whatever. We move on. And I thought it was done very well. I'm glad. I'm glad uh, Vince didn't come out at the end. They they let it you know, be the stage, mm-hmm. do it, let the fans enjoy the moment, let it soak in. Yeah, fans no. Will- and, then, and then, because you got to, you're head to head with impact, right? For the whole night. So you can't blow the load here, but they right. do it well, where you get half of it out of the gate to get fans off of impact at nine, right? Because impacts three hours. So yep. you're, you're yep. already diverting them at nine. Um, and then you're going to tease a Brett and Vince confrontation all through the night. So you're, you get like, it's, it shows that they're still light years ahead, right? <laughs> like, like, all right, yeah. you want to go head to head? Here we go. I'm like, we'll, we'll roll this out. Um, the main thing I'm surprised about is that they didn't do three hours of Raw. Like, I am shocked they didn't just say, fuck it, we're going to go head to head the whole way. But um, they probably didn't need to with what they had planned. So, right. Um, all right. Michael Cole and Jerry the King Lawler run down the card. Josh Matthews is outside Vince's locker room. Vince shows up and grills him for waiting there. Vince plays dumb. He says he didn't hear Brett talk. He's in a meeting and no one calls him out. Brett wants a public discussion. It'll be on his terms and he will call Brett out. Hmm. Cole says Melina will be out for months. She got injured in Manchester and has to vacate her title. And we'll now have a tournament to determine the new champion. That tournament starts tonight. And our first match is Maurice taking on Brie Bella. Maurice struts out. To kick off the march to a new champ, Bree jogs down with her sister. They've been traded from SmackDown. Uh, Maurice sticks and moves and tries to bait Bree in. Doesn't work as Bree runs through some staggered offense. Maurice bails out. Nikki throws it to a table. Maurice takes over, but we get the twin magic. Nikki slides in. Maurice sees her, though. And DDT's Nikki and wins anyway. Kind of weird the twin switch didn't work for them. Right. <laughs> uh, but whatever. Right. Maurice is way way higher up the pecking order at this point than, than the Bellas are, Scott. So I went half a star. Nothing much here. No, this match was garbage. The uh the 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 Bellas are nowhere in anybody's league right now in terms of uh you know in terms of of work rate or anything. So I gave it half a star. Um I do like uh, the mid, after the match, uh, as Maurice is walking up the ramp, the Miz comes out, and there you can already see the goo. I don't even know. They, they had to be going out by this point, I would think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, I don't know yet. I'm not sure when that's Because they were definitely googly-eyeing each other. So uh, Yeah, it might start around here. Yeah, it might have been around here. Um, so, anyway, because you figure they already had a kid by the time they wrestled to the Bellas and Cena in 2017, which is pretty funny. But anyway, um, yeah, this, there's not much here. Poor Molina, you know, 
the women's division was kind of in a weird state for most of 2009. And then they, they you thought they had some stability and then, and then, uh, you know, and then she gets hurt. So we have to kind of reboot, but nothing much here, Jake. Yep. I give it a generous star. Uh, it, it did. I did find it funny that the twin magic was useless and just completely backfired. <laughs> right. So that was kind of funny, but yeah, kind of janky match crowd was really dead for it too. Like no reaction. Um, so yeah, not too much happening. Hmm. All right, Miz heads to the ring straight from Gryffindor with this uh, outfit he's got on, apparently, with the, the scarf <laughs> and everything else. Uh, he does flirt with Maurice, like you mentioned, Scott. Uh, and says if she wins the title, maybe he'll call her back. And uh, talks a little shit and says 2010 will belong to him. Maurice just kind of smiles and leaves. And Miz heads to the booth because he's going to scout the next match to determine the next contender for his U.S. title. And that is MVP taking on Mark Henry, Jack Swagger, and Carlito. MVP's out to a pop full of energy. Miz kind of talks him down. We go to a break. When we come back, the match is underway with brawling. Miz picks apart each guy as no one has full control. Henry steps up and hammers away, powering through them. Miz talks about the legacy of the U.S. title as Henry ragdolls Carlito and then Swagger. MVP hits Henry with a mafia kick. He knocks Henry outside and finishes off Carlito with a playmaker to become the number one contender. Uh, not much going on here. Just an express line match. All four guys. A good pace, but nothing captivating. MVP is definitely the right choice for the win. He's the most over here to line up for Miz, who was fine on commentary as well, Jake. I went two and a quarter. I thought this is perfectly fine TV fodder. Yep, gentlemen's two for me. Quick, uh, inoffensive, good energy to it. Everybody getting their shit in. Um, I did notice, like, Miz, he sounds, you could tell in this area, he's much less natural on the mic. I mean, mm-hmm. he's always been pretty solid. I mean, he's never been awful, but he seems a little more like... Um, I don't know, like more scripted sound, I guess you could say. But yeah, two for me, a totally fine match. I didn't know if that was a torture rack. They called that a torture rack, and it did not kind of just like he was holding up like for a Samoan drop or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. It was weird. (laughs) Yeah, but two for me. Yeah, I gave it two and a half. It was a fun match. I think JR and I have talked a lot about the the number one contenders for the U.S. title throughout the year. Um, uh. 2010 is going to be a very interesting year because we got a lot of these mid-card guys. We saw two of them elevated at the last pay-per-view. Um, so I think we're going to see an interesting um, movement with the mid-card. And I was expecting, you know, kind of expecting swagger. But um, I think Miz, this is obviously the year Miz really starts to fit into his clothes. And uh, but you're right, Jake. It did feel very scripted, which is not like mm-hmm. Miz, at least the Miz we know now. But you know, you got to start somewhere. But it was a fine four way, and you know, yeah. I mean, it's it's been a gradual climb for him, right? We talked about when he showed up in 06. He had that feud with Benoit in 07. Um, then he had the teaming with Morris, and he's just like taking step by step by step and building his confidence. And now they're strapping him up and being like, all right, run with it. You know, run one with the U.S. title. This division is kind of mismatch of guys who have kind of missed at the elevation point but also guys that are still coming up so it's, it's a cool little mix so mm-hmm. i agree all right big show and jericho are backstage show says it's their last chance to beat dx if they lose jericho has to leave raw and they're done he's gonna go back to smackdown they've, he's, they've kind of been bouncing because they've been the tag champs jericho says he's gonna go talk to bret hart and uh you know he has a great deal for him and show says he doesn't want to have to leave raw so we got to win this match 
Brett's in his office. He's talking to a random dude about WrestleMania 12. Jericho comes in. They catch up about the dungeon. Jericho tries to push Brett to shitting on Sean and ask Brett to be the guest referee in their match tonight. He says, you know, call things down the middle, but when Jericho gets the walls, Brett can take let, let instinct take over and ring the bell and screw DX. Brett says he wants no more problems. He's done reliving Montreal. He just wants peace. Jericho pushes on it, says it's an act, and Brett says it's not an act. Doesn't want to be perceived like Jericho is a hypocrite. He's done. Jericho better win on his own if he wants to stay on Raw. And he says, in the dungeon, Chris screamed louder than anyone ever did. It even scared the cats. And if it wasn't for Stu or his brothers doing the stretching, just some kids. Hornswoggle's with Triple H in the DX locker room talking up all the new wrestling figures. Hunter says he could play with all the toys if DX wins tonight. Sean comes in and asks why Hunter treats Hornswoggle like a child. He says he has a beard. Hunter says, go read Wikipedia. He says he's been prepping for their match. And Hunter brings in Santino, who's dressed up like Jericho. He does a bit mocking Jericho. He says Jesse Ventura is investigating conspiracies about him. Hunter tells Hornswoggle to attack. He jumps and mauls Santino, who screams in horror. Hunter says tonight is about DX and the tag titles, not Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and not Shawn wanting Taker at Mania again even. Hunter begs Hornswoggle like a dog and feeds him like a cookie, uh, feeds him a cookie to get him off of Santino. Um I thought it was actually kind of funny. <laughs> There's some bullshit in mm-hmm. there, but um, I thought they did a good job of mixing in, like saying, all right, tonight's about the tag titles. Forget Brett, forget Taker. We haven't talked about that yet, Scott, right? Where Sean is with Taker. He's obsessed now with this rematch. Um, but do either of you have any comments on either the Brett Jericho or DX promos? Santino's great. I mean, he's always uh, he's always entertaining to me. His timing's very good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I enjoyed the Jesse dig. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, and he had just been on, you know, whatever mm. month and six weeks earlier, so it was it was timely comment as well. Mm. I feel like uh, I feel like um, we didn't because it happened during the Slammies, so I guess that was what probably the last Raw of '09. No, it was the night after TLC. We talked about it, I think, briefly at TLC. Yeah, we did. Uh, so. Obviously, Sean won him and Taker won for match of the year 25. And he says, I can still beat you. Give me a match. Mm-hmm. And he, so he wants a rematch at WrestleMania 26. So, and that's going to be a big story point <laughs> through early to uh, 10 here. Uh, very much so. Yes, indeed. For the next two pay per views. <laughs> so, and after that, a little bit. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, no, the promos were fine. You know, again, I'm kind of DX'd out, but, but it's fine. The promos have been fine. All right, Raw on USA. Fun fact, hyping up the viewership of the program. Of course, a little dig, I'm sure, TNA meant there. Uh, We then head back to the ring. TLC rematch to Generation X, taking on Jericho for the tag team titles. Uh, interesting spot. You'd think this would main event Raw after a main event to the pay-per-view, but obviously they have bigger things cooking. Uh, Jericho's Raw career on the line as well. DX gets a big pop. Horn swoggles with him. He's throwing glow sticks. Jericho saunter out their final shot is staying as a team. King says they need Hornswoggle on a leash as he crawls under the ring. Sean and Show start off with some big little stick, uh, shtick and then move uh, around. The crowd is rev for Sean. Hunter blind tag. Show takes them both out. We go to break. As we come back, Jericho's working over Hunter. He tags in show, does the same, slowly working through power spots. Hunter takes a beating for a bit and then gets a spine buster on Jericho, but he can't make the tag. The beating rolls on as Hunter dodges a Vader bomb from Big Show. Sean gets a hot tag. He rumbles through show, but Jericho crotches him. Horn swoggles in. It's a whoopee cushion on show, but show stays alive. Sean loads up sweet chin music, but show twists that into a choke slam, but gets two. 
Sean tags Hunter, who comes in a pedigrees Jericho, but show saves in a good near fall. Hunter cuts off a show choke slam. They hit a double team pedigree and show flops to the floor. Hunter and Sean collide. Jericho gets a code breaker on Hunter, but he can't make the say uh, make the cover. Hornswoggle comes in. He sets up Sweet Chin Music, but Jericho kicks him down and then hooks Hunter in the walls. But Sean hits Sweet Chin Music while he's twisting Hunter over and picks up the win to retain the tag titles. Hunter and Sean taunt Jericho as he has to leave Raw. Sean, uh, I'm sorry, Show stands over Jericho and then leaves angrily, and Jericho staggers off as the crowd serenades him farewell. Uh, pretty basic stuff here. Star-powered for TV. I mean, it's a big match. A good play on their overall feud. The heat segment was fine. It kept the crowd into it. The back end was hot. The crowd was revved up into the finish. Uh, Jericho is no more, though. Jericho's headed to SmackDown. They had a great run uh, in the back end of 09 here. Really kind of helped dominate the tag division. Raised the titles up, I think, a bit after they were kind of lost a little uh, earlier in the year. DX rolls on. And we'll see where they go with the tag titles now as Sean is marching toward Taker. Uh, two and three quarters for me, Scott, on this one. Uh, I, yeah, it was fine. Um, crowd was, the crowd's been jazzed up tonight for obvious reasons. Um, I give this a three. Um, I like Jericho. They're a fun little team. Um, I'm glad though that we don't see DX much longer. I mean, you're right. You said it on the last episode, this iteration. It's been better. It's been way better than 06. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has. I mean, like I said, they're now they're they're both acting the same. In 06, Triple H was still acting like it was 97, but Sean was past that, and they would never seem to have had the same chemistry. And well, and this has been like 06 was like a lot of just like yes, stupid bullshit with Vince and all that. Like this has actually been more focused on in ring and them trying to get the world title and you know right. trying to get over legacy. It's been more like in ring focused than like the cartoony shit of 06 with the Spirit Squad and everything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I, I mean, the match has been fine. I uh, I enjoyed it, Jake. I I, but I feel like this chapter's closing for for at least for Jericho and Big Show, and it's kind of time to move on with a new year. Yeah, I thought it was a fun match. Uh, I went three and a quarter on it. I thought the uh, I thought the timing on like the change of advantage, like whenever they would, you know, one team would take over, was really well done, and they like that. I felt like they um, they read the crowd well, never lingered too much on. You know, the heels take advantage. Like, they ebbed and flowed really well. The swaggle kick to the face was very good. Uh, the near falls at the end were great. Um, as someone who's seen Jericho miss, like, a thousand line salts doing the Ruthless Aggressive podcast, it was cool <laughs> to see the variation where he um, misses. The, it's almost like he knew he was going to miss it because he always lands on his it. feet. Yeah. Yeah, and he just goes straight into the line salt. So, that was a nice little... Um, like a veteran move by him, knowing he never hits his own move. But, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Show with the... I have a history also of Big Show's aesthetic bothering me. Like here, he has like the uh, he's doing the thing where you have like a goatee with no mustache. No, oh, he yeah, looked like yeah. um, this is. Uh, I was, it took me forever to think of who this was, but uh, it's Tom Tolbert who used to do the. Uh, oh yes, yep. the, the yeah, old, yeah, yeah. The, uh, yeah. Like I was watching this show, and every time it popped, I was like, "Damn, who does he look like?" He's that guy from the uh, <laughs> the NBA pregame show in like 2002, but. Anyway, the, uh, uh, you love nothing more than critiquing Big Show's uh, fashion and looks right. on he's your podcast. That's... Always, always. And so here, he's fashion's fine, but then he's got the big bushy chin thing going on. <laughs> the Tolbert, if you will. Yes. <laughs> the Tolbert. All right. Uh, Orton, Randy Orton, 
summons Vince and says he's there for business. And the theme is putting the past in the past, and he's got an offer for him. Vince cuts Orton off and says Vince spitting in Brett's face or Brett spitting in his face and walking out was nothing compared to what Orton did to his family. Orton says Vince has worked with people he despised in the past. Brett's a legend that Orton has a chance, hasn't had a chance to put to rest. And tonight he'll kick him in the skull if Vince wants him to. Orton says Brett wants to fight Vince and he'll have his back. He'll kick Brett if Vince puts Orton in the rumble as number 30. Vince says he has his own security and tells Orton to never confront him again. Orton turns and sees legacy. Behind him, Rhodes says he wants to thank the, thank him for inspiring them so much last week. And as a thank you, they'll set ringside tonight for his match. And if Kofi wins, they're going to kick him out of legacy, like he threatened to do to them a week ago. So legacy pushing back a bit here, and things are crumbling for Orton. We go uh, go back to last week where Sheamus got DQ'd on purpose to save his title against Cena. Sheamus comes to the ring. He talks about how Cena couldn't beat him last week. He can make all the excuses he wants, but Sheamus did what he said he would be, closing 2009 as champion. Sheamus' next title match will be at the Royal Rumble and not against John Cena because he's done with him for now. Sheamus says Bret Hart was the best there was, but Sheamus will be the best there is and ever will be. Out comes Evan Bourne. He swipes the mic and says Sheamus only has the belt because he got an opportunity. If he got a chance, he could beat Sheamus, and he wants to tonight. Sheamus smirks. He busts a little bit about Bourne, and then says if Bourne wins tonight, he can get the title match at the Rumble. Uh, Jake, any thoughts on the Orton segment or the Sheamus one? Um, I do like the thread that Vince isn't letting go of the of the Orton destroying his family, even though it's a year ago now. He's like still punishing him. He still hates him for it. Uh, so I like that thread, and then you know, Sheamus trying to look tough here, even though he's had two, you know, squeak out wins over Cena. Yeah, I liked Orton. Like, uh, his he's always after the legends. Like, he sees Brett, and the first thing he's thinking is that he wants to take him out, which right. uh, I enjoyed that. But I, and the other thing I was just thinking is like, man, like, think it with present day eyes. Like, everyone's just been here forever. Like, you know, like this is a long time ago, and so many like Shame is still here. Orton, I mean, I know Orton's kind of in a weird spot now, but. You know, like he's still around. It's like, man, these people have been around forever. So that was kind of my view. But um, legacy is interesting to me. This is kind of a blind spot for me. Like the whole legacy thing. I don't remember much about them. Cody here too. Somebody who's, again, still around. Yeah. I mean, it's been a pretty good story with them so far. I mean. I agree. It goes back a year. Because the 09 Rumble, Mm -hmm. like they help Orton win. And that's a great Rumble moment. Um, And they've kind of been at his side the whole way. Um, you know, they go through the feud with DX, but now they're starting to crumble a little bit. Like Orton treats them like lackeys and they're pushing back on mm-hmm. them, but he's been right a lot of the time with what he says right. to them. Um, and now they're basically saying, look, we're not taking it anymore, boss. Uh, so go ahead. You got to prove yourself now. Yeah, I, uh, it's interesting because it's almost like, it's almost like Orton is being told by his guys. Wow. What did you really teach us this year? Not much. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then you, you, you know, they didn't look, it's funny because if going back to our show from two weeks ago, if you, if you look at their faces during the match at TLC, they almost look like they're just as bored. I don't know if that right. was on purpose or not, but it, it's evident that, that it's all right. They've, we've had a year of it time to split it and, and, and get it done. You know, I think, I think Cody and DiBiase have, have been lackeys enough and and now it's time you know, for both them and Orton to kind of move on. I mean, they've been, I mean, it goes back to what? I guess almost the whole year. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was like late 08, I think is when they kind of started. Right. Um, Because I mean, Rhodes turned, that was at like night of champions 07 when they won the tag titles and it, 
I right. mean, uh, yeah, 08, I mean, Night Champions 08, it started, and that bleed bled into the Rumble in early 09. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, right? It's the 09 Rumble that they helped Orton yeah. win, right? So yeah. Yep, exactly. Crazy. But, yeah, time to time to finish. All right. Uh, so that takes us right to this match, Evan Bourne and Sheamus. <clears throat> Big spot for Bourne. Uh, elevating him here for the night gives him a chance. Bourne attacks at the bell with a quick stick and move. Bourne kicks Sheamus down. It's a perfect airborne for two. Gets a great near fall. Bourne goes up top. Sheamus catches him in a fallaway slam. Clobbers on him. Hits him with a hard kick and finishes with a very nasty Celtic cross. Uh, a fun sprint squash. Bourne shined early. Gave Sheamus a go, but still makes Sheamus look good. I really thought this was a perfect TV segment. I thought this made Sheamus look way better than TLC ever did. When he won the belt. So, uh, and Bourne got to shine, Jake. So I went two and a half. Again, a, a pretty solid TV match. Yeah, this is real fun. Like, I like the early flurry with the the shooting star or the 450. I forget what he, I think it was a 450. Yeah, he's trying to end it quick, like, right? So, yeah. So he comes in, the crowd's into it. So, again, and then Seamus the insult in. Yeah, I, I went two on it. To me, it was a perfectly executed squash segment. Yeah, I agree. Uh, because I feel like, and you're right about this, JR, it's because you're in a moment now where Sheamus actually has the stage to himself and he's not, you know, all right, I beat Cena. That's it. And, and now I, like he felt like a guy who, um, who was a champion. Right. Like he felt more, more authoritative. He felt more in control and he pretty much is like, yeah, I won. That's the way it happened. Tough shit. And kind of starts, you know, dicking around Evan Bourne, looking at him, Dr. Bourne. And he came in the ring and he, uh, and the, you know, it was a pretty solid match. It was fine. I think Seamus is a good worker. I really do. And I think he just gets better as he gets older. Um, but yeah, I had no problem with it at all. And it makes him look stronger than it did the night before or the week before or whatever, the, the month before. Um, he's gotten better and better and more and more authoritative. So I, I approve. I approve on how it's been going. He's trying to make it recover from mm -hmm. being lucky, which we talked about. All right, Michael, Michael Cole, the King, paid tribute to Dr. Death, Steve Williams, who had just passed away at age 49 the previous week. Uh, very sad, of course, uh, when he passed away of the throat cancer. Uh, Cole and King then recap what we saw about Brett and Sean earlier. They set up the po potential confrontation with Vince later tonight. We get a lot of uh, clips from Montreal. We then get to our next match, another big one. It's the rematch from TLC, Kofi Kingston taking on Randy Orton. Kofi's looking for revenge from TLC to pick up that key win. Orton saunters out, looking to turn around his tough night. We go legacy at ringside. Kofi comes right at Orton with a flurry as Orton stooges around. The crowd boos. Kofi keeps tossing Orton around, keeping him off balance. After a break, Orton's in control. He cranks on a chin lock. Kofi misses a dive to the floor during the commercial. Orton methodically picks apart Kofi, works the throat, strikes, and a chin lock. Both guys collide on a cross body. Kofi heats through his offense, but he can't finish. Kofi then dodges an RKO and a backbreaker and gets the SOS for two. Orton blocks a hip toss and goes into the RKO to win yet again uh, over Kofi Kingston. So another solid match tonight. Kofi's push definitely seems stalled out. Two straight clean losses to Orton. Uh, this one was, wasn't as good as TLC to me. Uh, it did help Kofi to be at the level, but he lost clean twice. <laughs> so uh, definitely a problem. It's clear Orton was out to, to not put this guy over after he pissed him off with the potato. Um, so he's done. We'll see how he recovers from here, but uh, his main event push definitely seems stalled out. Uh, Legacy remains together, but trouble's looming for them, Scott. I went two and three quarters. Again, definitely a step behind what we had um, back at TLC. 
Uh, it's funny. I actually like this match. <laughs> I gave it three. Uh, I actually liked it. Um, but yeah, it is evident that Orton's had enough of this and, and it sucks because I don't think Kofi did anything wrong, really. I mean, all right. So, you know, shit happens, but, uh, I think Orton's frustrated because it's almost like he knows that his, not his main event run, but anything involving a title is, you know, all right, mm-hmm. that chapter's over and time for me to do something else. And I'll get back to it down the line. I think that's bugging him. I think that's still some of the immaturity. Uh, that he may he may have like why why I don't I don't want to just wrestle guys I want belts you know I want titles and well you can't always get what you want and I think I think he's paying the price for that. I think Kofi is kind of the collateral damage of that but uh, I thought the match was fine I thought it was better than TLC um, and I think the continuing disintegration of legacy will be fun to watch mm-hmm. but um, yeah it's evident he has wants nothing to do with Kofi and that's a shame. Meeting Jake. Yeah, I uh, I went two and a half on it. Totally solid match. These guys have good chemistry. I like the way they move together. Like it's kind of a natural pairing. Like Orton does his like whole methodical beatdown thing, and Kofi can kind of play the underdog. Um, it, to me, it kind of hit a bit of a a ceiling because like I just didn't feel much drama, right? Like with Legacy outside or anything or in the match itself. Like it was kind of stuck in first gear. Like they never really picked it up towards the end. It's kind of like. Kofi goes for the SOS and then Orton just survives it and then wins. It was kind of like not much more than that. So, but I mean, still fine, but just I wasn't feeling much uh, drama given that they had legacy outside and I was supposed to feel like something was happening and it just kind of like, you know, I, I know they're trying to maybe slow build that, but, you know, it didn't really come through. It didn't add much tension to the match, but two and a half, totally fine. Mm. All right, main event time. Vince McMahon is out. He's, as promised, wishes everyone a happy new year. Says there's no reason to call Bret Hart out. Him and Sean put everything behind them. He got closure, and he feels the same way. Montreal is over. Vince thanks Bret for being the guest host, and he hypes up next week's guest, Mike Tyson, which is, again, kind of fitting. Uh, Says Montreal bled right into Mike Tyson back in 1998, so kind of cool. Uh, But out comes Bret Hart to a pop. Vince says the people want to see Brett put the sharpshooter on Vince, uh, but he asked Brett to be the better man. Says he's not there to provoke him. He just wants to hear what Brett has to say. Vince wants to be honest and get things off his chest, and he really believes Brett screwed Brett, and I'll never forget Brett spitting in his face and sucker punching him in the locker room and then disrespecting him at his own Hall of Fame ceremony, slandering and trashing him for years. Brett smirking as Vince says he's just being honest. He wants to hear Brett, and he hopes he starts with the words, I'm sorry. Brett says the two words he's thinking of are very different than that. He came here to get closure, and he's halfway there. He got the weight off. It feels good. He knows this is a chance to get things right and make peace. And he knows Vince wants it just as bad as he does. Vince says he thought he wanted to come out and kick Brett in the guts, and that was stupid. In the interest of putting this behind him, he wants it just as badly as Brett. Vince says he remembers Brett's first WrestleMania at a battle royal, and he was thinking Andre was near the past, and Brett would be the future. Following his career from a tag specialist to a champion, Vince gave him all kinds of opportunities. And Brett fought and made it happen to become the excellence of execution. And one of the reasons Montreal is so personal is because he felt like he was a father to Brett. And he felt responsible and it hurt. And as a father, he says, Stu is the reason so many guys got into the business. And he wants to nominate Stu to the Hall of Fame this year. Brett gets choked up. He says he appreciates it on behalf of his family and all the Canadian fans. Vince says they want they all want to thank Brett for everything he's done and for being the best. They shake hands. They pose. And then Vince kicks him in the nuts just as the music starts. Uh, and that's it. We wrap up. Uh, I, this is really well done. I mean, Vince just is such a heel prick, like completely disarming Brett with the stew thing. Um, pays off the beginning of the show where Brett and Sean put, put the, bury the hatchet. 
Um, and we asked that question to start this, right? It was like, was that a bad move? Well, no, because then you got this later. So we, we still get to play off of it in a different way. Um, and we're going to hyperdrive what looks to maybe be a mania match or feud. And, you know, what seems maybe earlier in the night, like it's a one and done for Brett now is clearly meaning that Brett's going to stick around to do something more because now Vince has kicked him in the balls. This is peak Vince bullshit uh, and, and building heat into the finish. Um, you know, we'll see what they do on impact, but I think on their end, when you look at the big angle, you know, I'm not saying this is the perfect raw, but when you look at the big angle, I'd say raw Dodie knocked it out of the park, Jake, uh, with this segment and with the Sean segment. So if you tuned in to see the big thing, like you were good. Yeah, I think it kept off pretty well. Like, uh, like I like Vince kind of hand waving the whole thing to begin. Like, uh, yeah, no big deal. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we're all done. You. On to Mike yeah, Tyson. And then, yeah, and then he wants him to say, uh, you know, I was looking for it. I'm sorry from you, Brett. Uh, just that's some good uh, Vince stuff. But then they kind of just shake it. They it goes very like old, mm-hmm. similar to the first time, like very old manish, like uh, just two old guys like uh, who had this old beef and now they're trying to squash it. But uh, yeah, I think it. It's. I guess we'll see how it plays out. Um, I didn't think it had quite the juice I was expecting because it just seems a little bit mailed in, like to just have Vince kick him in the nuts. Like it wasn't the most interesting way to end it to me. Like, but it's hard. It's a tough thing to pull off because it's. I don't know. There's so much baggage, and it's like the most visceral like wrestling thing ever. So anytime you you're now trying to do something that feels scripted, I feel like it's hard to kind of play off of it and have it hit the same way. So I think that's sort of weird. But as far as the novelty of it, I mean, it's definitely there. Um, Like going against Impact, I think it is totally something that they had in the chamber that was a good choice to bring out here. Um, Because obviously it it hasn't been so long that the fans watching at this time period are are that far moved that it doesn't have any novelty. So yeah, like again, it's just, I think it's tough to totally get the heat you would want from this. Probably impossible, but for what they had, I think they did it well. I think we all knew that that this was not going to be like Brett and Sean. This is going to be totally just the way Vince kind of alluded to with the whole show. Uh, this was definitely not going to be like hugging hands and hugging and kumbaya and all that because mm-hmm. it's Vince and Vince doesn't do that shit. Um, so uh, um, I, I'm fine with it. I think the fans were into it. Uh I think it's the beginning of something, obviously. This isn't just, you're right. It's not just a one night thing for Brett and he leaves. Uh, this is something that's going to build. But as we will discuss uh, over time and as we get to Phoenix, uh, so much was missing out of this. So much was missing that could have made it so much better. But we'll get to that down the road. But uh, it was fine. It, it worked out, I think. And Vince, just Vince, he's a fucking jerk. <laughs> you know, I, I think Sean probably. I wonder if Sean was offered to do it, and he was like, "Nah, I'm done. I'm good." Um, worked out. Worked. It, it worked out good on camera. That Vince is just a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and, and like you said, I mean, it was right. Is it a one night thing? Then you're not doing this. But this to me shows right, or it's everyone showed. Okay, this is going to be something in through media. I, I don't remember at the time, honestly, if when they announced Brett coming out, like everyone knew he was sticking around. Uh, or it was a one-night thing, but by the end of the night, you know, like, okay, something's going on for Mania with these two. Whether they're going to fight or be in a corner of someone, like, whatever it's going to be, right? right. It's going to be something, so. Yep. All right. 
Uh, I thought we'd do separate awards. So let, let's do the Raw awards and we'll head over to Impact. Uh, MVP for this, I, I went with Brett. I mean, I think he was he was great mm-hmm. um, in both segments. He was the star of the show. He was the draw of the show. They brought him in specifically to counteract Impact. So I agree. Yep. Agree. Yep. Totally. All right. LVP. Um, I kind of wanted to go Kofi because like his push dies here, but he really didn't do anything wrong. Um, right. So I went with the Bellas. Uh, <laughs> looks terrible in that opener. Yeah, they failed. I, failed magic with failed. magic. Yeah. Yeah, they tried to do the killer bees and it didn't work. They're terrible. Uh, best match, I went DX versus Jericho. I thought that was the best mm-hmm. of the night. Same. Yep. Yep. Uh, worst match, obviously, was uh, Maurice and, and Brie. Yep. Very much. Yep. All right. Uh, best moment, I went, I mean, again, pretty obvious. It's, uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know. I want Vince kicking Brandon nuts, I guess. Like, I guess you could go with a few things, but. Um, I also had that as a, I had that as a surprise as well. So I'd be okay with best moment is being Bret Hart returns, and then mm-hmm. the surprise being Vince kicking him in the nuts. If we want to go with that, I, I yeah. would go with I would go with Bret and Sean hugging. I think that's the best. That moment. too, yeah. That's the, I think that's the best moment. Yeah, it's hard to like pick a specific one, but it's Bret. I mean, you kind of pick whatever you want out of Bret returning. Yeah, just I'm gonna go. With, I'll go with this Bret returning. That covers everything. Yeah, um, yep. and then for surprise, we'll go with Vince kicking Brett in the nuts. <laughs> yeah, because that was obviously a pretty, pretty big surprise. I mean, yeah, I think you figured something may happen with them, but like right. Vince being the aggressor and taking them out, probably not. We would think, <laughs> um, what happened. So, I for a grade, I went six and a half out of ten. Like, I thought this is a, a very good raw, um, from an era not known for very good raws, but uh, I thought it, it really did well. They did well in delivering a big show against Impact. They had this Brett bullet in the chamber. They broke it out at the perfect time. Uh, the two segments delivered. They had some good matches. The really only stinker was the women's, and that was quick. I mean, everything else was, was for for a TV show for Raw in this era. Like to even just go two and a half, two and a half, two, whatever it is, is like pretty good. And you had the big anchor match as well. So, right. Yeah, I'd probably go like a, a six. Sounds about good. It's still, I think, even on a good one, has that issue of this era where it just feels very sterile. Right. Which is kind of yeah. hard to overcome. But I think for this era of Raw, I think it's, yeah, you got a good match. You got a memorable, you know, thing with mm-hmm. Brett and Vince and everything. You got a couple good matches. So, not bad. Yeah, I'm going to go with a six. It's a good up and down Raw. Uh, you know, Brett being there was amazing. A couple of stinker matches. Sad for Kofi, but I think six is right, right in the sweet spot. Okay. All right, let's head over to Impact then. Of course, took place in the Impact Zone in Orlando, Florida. Three-hour edition. There's a lot of debuts and returns uh, on this, but we'll cover them as we go to hit them all because there's a lot cooking. Um, obviously, like we said, you know, they had, I, I like Impact quite a bit um, for quite a while, right? I mean, where you guys are, Jake, and I with the Impact Zone, like it's pretty lauded as a show um, between 05 and 09. Like it's up and down, but it was consistently worth watching. Like I, I know for sure I had impact on the DVR. I'd scan it almost every week, you know, watching the big stuff um, in this stretch. And in 09 felt very much like WCW 94, fittingly enough. Like there's a lot of stars. They're putting on great matches. Things are humming along. And then they say, screw it. We're going to take a shot. This is our chance. They go sign Hogan and Bischoff to try and recreate the magic. And there was a lot of excitement. Like I remember watching this, this night, I taped both 
Um, I, I, well, I DVR'd both, and I, I think I put them to a tape after. Um, I remember, like, my brother, who's been a lifelong wrestling fan, but I don't think he watches week to week. Like, I remember texting with him during these shows about it, which, like, I never do. Um, so I, I remember this being, like, a big deal. But like WCW 94, you could also argue it was, like, for quality, maybe a bad move. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, uh, maybe... You know, things were running well, and now this is a chance, yes, to bring bigger eyes on the product, but is it going to be a detriment because you're bringing Hogan in, who can be up and down? They're going to bring the cronies in, and now suddenly all the dudes you're pushing, are they going to get shunted down? So, right. um, But, Jake, what were your thoughts like at the time when they made this move? Like, Were mm-hmm. you watching it all? Were you in, engaged at all? Not, not really. Like, that's kind of the whole thing i do on the highway mm-hmm. pod is that like i've never watched any of this now i do remember hearing a lot about this just in the wrestling you know zeitgeist whatever you want to call it like just about hogan all and that's always going to have people who are naysayers you know um right. and you know justifiably so sometimes but yeah i think the issue with this is you i think from watching the amount of tna i have it, it does have a maybe not always the biggest fan base but a very loyal and like rabid fan base and i think if you you run the risk of changing what those people love about mm-hmm. TNA when you try and come in and do these sweeping changes and try and elevate it with these bigger names. I think you, it, it's risky for sure for your core TNA audience. Yeah, I think they just saw it as like their chance finally. Like they were hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. Um, and man, they figured, here's a, let's just go for it. Um, you know, I, it, it obviously doesn't work, right? Because I think they're off Mondays by like March, I believe. Like it's it's not long. They're they're back off Mondays real quick. Um, and the Hogan, I mean Hogan stays around for a while. I don't, I don't remember Bischoff does. I know Hogan stays around for a bit, but it definitely isn't doesn't become what they thought it was going to be, Scott. No. Uh... Yeah, I mean they were they were back off Monday April. April uh looks like April 12th. No, I'm sorry, May 13th. They're back on Thursdays. Jake, are you there? Mhm. Okay. I think it's the Scott we're missing. Sorry, I'm here. I know I was talking and I must, I hit my mute thing by accident. Um, no, you're good. Roll on. You know, so what I was saying was uh, the, we're going to get into, I have a theory that I want to get into, but I want to wait till we finish the show. When we go over the show, but um, it looks like may they will go head to head March and then may yeah, it's go May 13th. To, they go back to Thursday. So they last they go, five months. They last five months. Uh, I have a theory that I want to get into, but we'll wait till after the show. But listen, I, the biggest I remember uh the biggest thing for them was when they got Kurt. Uh when he left at 06 and then and literally showed up at mm-hmm. Bound for Glory, that was crazy. And then you were getting like right out of the gate, they were smart, like right out of the gate, they did they did, you know, Kurt and Samoa Joe. I yeah, think it was immediately. Yeah. Like right out of the gate. And those matches were were ridiculous. And you had AJ. It was just a different thing to watch, you know, and, and they had a good roster. Yeah, they had some slugs, but. Well, but and they were also giving guys a chance that like WDF fans had wanted. Like when Christian went, it was a big deal because he was red hot in 05 and everyone wanted them to give him a chance. And he goes there and gets the chance. 
angle right. fell everyone fell it was like being misused in 06 so yeah and yes he had the issues but he goes there and it's like okay they let him go you know like so it was um the presentation was definitely interesting we're a little bit off on the money i think so one one quick thing so impact for the first hour of this night gets three million viewers and uh, by the end, it was at 2.2. So they got siphoned off by Raw, which Raw had a 5.6 million, which is their most since August. Um, so it was a, it's a successful night when you look at it. It's like, yes, TN, TNA did not compete head-to-head well, but the overall night of wrestling did very well. Like, you're looking at almost 8 million viewers, which had not happened, I would assume, since, like, you know, the early 2000s, if that. Uh, probably 99 is my guess. Um, right. They didn't actually start on Mondays on this night. This was a one-time head-to-head. They moved to Mondays on March 8th permanently. Um, so they only last two months on Mondays once they go head-to-head. Right. Yep. Uh, so there you go. So that's that. All right, let's get into the show itself. Huge night, head-to-head war. Uh, we get a video package to open. Takes us to the big moments uh, from O2 till now in TNA history. Hulk Hogan arrives. They're going to take the fight to the WWE. We get our opening animation. Mike Tanay and Taz welcome us into the Impact Zone. And we kick things off with a big X Division match. And it is a Six Sides of Steel Asylum with Amazing Red defending the Cruiserweight. Oh, Cruiserweight, Jesus Christ. X Division title against uh, Jay Lethal. Apollo Creed, Apollo Creed, Austin Creed. Uh, <laughs> Creed. The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, my Lord. It's been a long day. Kyoshi, Suicide, Shelly, Save, and Homicide. Uh, there you go. So Mick Foley is also here, by the way. Of course, he came in, in 08, after 08 when he left. Uh, he's he's around. Um, he was denied access by security tonight. We get a quick star, all eight guys battling. Uh, lethal consequences work together as a team. We get a few escape attempts. Quick hit spots flowing through everyone. Great pace and crowd engagement. Suicide almost gets out first, but Red makes a save. Homicide breaks out a police baton and uses it with some help from Kyoshi, but then crushes him with it, and we find out he's disqualified, and he just smashes everyone with the, with the, the baton. The match is ruled in no contest. Homicide scales the cage, tries to escape, but everyone chases, and he flops to the mat as everyone battles. Jeff Hardy's music hits. He comes out through the crowd. Homicide attacks him, and they brawl up the ramp. Uh, and a short-haired Jeff Hardy smashes Homicide with a chair, hits a twist of fate, and then climbs the cage and sits on it. Um, this was fun, but what a stupid finish. The crowd was pissed. This is such a big night. Uh, Homicide took fucking forever to climb out of that cage. Uh, Hardy uh, is in. He's the first big moment of the night, his debut, after he had left the Dota-E in uh, August. Um, so I'm two and a half of the match, Scott. But, man... Like, this could have really ruined the show before they even got going. Like, this was, they have three hours. Why are we doing this fuck finish and rushing through this match? If you're going to do that, don't do the cage. Just do, like, a gauntlet where they're flying around the ring against each other or a battle royal or something. <clears throat> like, this, to me, we should have been a match. You get a lot of time to tell a story. And instead, you get this DQ inside a cage match. It just made no sense. Two and a half it was stars. A- it was absolutely stupid. Yeah, it was absolutely stupid. Uh I gave it. I'm going to go back to my other tab here. Uh, I gave it. Uh, I actually gave it. Uh, I gave it two. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, like you. The one thing. The one thing. See, this is what I got scared about for a minute. The one thing that you're good at, that WWE is not, is promoting of your like cruisers mm-hmm. and you know light heavyweight guys, and the X division title is was one of the most like. Beloved titles in all oh, of wrestling. Yeah. Since it was created. Yeah. Oh, two. Pretty much. Yeah. And this is what you do. 
like a, a fuck finish? Are you kidding me? And on top of it, you 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 debut Jeff, and you know he's been gone since what July. Yeah, well, SummerSlam was his final. Yeah, SummerSlam, and then he's he had obviously the no compete, and then he had some other issues. Um, I would have expected a whole lot better than than that. I mean, you have all of the guys like like legendary impact, not legendary, but like impact lifers like Amazing Red and Homicide and Sabin and those guys and Shelly. Um, and this is what you do. I mean, that's sad. Well, what they could have done too is build like you've had weeks you've known this is happening. Like this isn't new, so. Build right. up like a big one-on-one crew, uh, X Division showdown. Like have Amazing Red versus whoever, right? right? Build it for weeks and weeks. Have the other X guys in the crowd watching and make it like a big show off this belt. It's, I, I know it's kind of what you're saying, right? It's show off this title right. that everyone loves. Instead, you're blowing it in this match. It's like just a hectic shit show, Jake. Yeah, part of me wonders if... Uh, yeah, I went to on it because there's some fun spots, but it's just a mess because... I feel like they may have called an audible on this when they realized that nobody could like physically <laughs> that maybe no one in this match was ever going to make it into through that hole to win. And like, they didn't know how long this would have to go on. Cause I feel like the guys are struggling. Like, um, you know, even when he climbs after it's like, it's really a struggle to get there. Like you have to really be like, I'd wonder how many wrestlers active wrestlers at this point would like be physically able to do this. Like no, the guys yeah. look like they're really struggling. So I think it was like poor design and TNA fashion, like not testing this out before they maybe would have been better off doing like an ultimate X or something where he could still have all the craziness, but maybe in a more manageable concept. So part of me wonders if they just like, you know, called for the finish cause they knew it was going to be a mess cause nobody could win. So uh it's a wild concept uh and i kept thinking like if these guys fall i mean that is <laughs> that is quite a plummet if you fall from like if you're way up there where it starts getting towards the the hole i mean that's quite a spill you're gonna take so just insane but i mean that's tna and uh jeff hardy just completely crushed him with the chair like that was gross yeah 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 it was all right, we get uh, Hulk Hogan's limo and his motorcade heads into the impact zone. We don't see him yet, though. It just pulls in. We then head to the ring where Tara is taking on ODB. Tara, of course, the former Victoria. She is the knockouts champion. ODB jumps her. Mike today explains how ODB got this title match. Tara powers up. They trade some punches. Today, we're running down the night ahead. Tara hooks a tarantula. Nice springboard leg drop for two. The crowd is littered with Hogan shirts as today and Taz talk about Twitter. Uh, early adapters. I mean, Twitter's pretty new <laughs> at this point. I think it debuted in 09. You don't hear about it raw at all. Uh, ODB quick, uh, quickly comes back, rolls up Tara, hooks the tights, and steals the title. Tara attacks after. his the widow's peak and puts a spider on ODB. Um, again, I question the booking here. Like, yeah, you want to have a big title change. It's a big night. But the match gets, like, no time. The finish comes out of nowhere. Tara leaves her laid out anyway. It was just heating up. And it feels like we're flying through the show. Like, we're just... It feels like just, like, the early days of the NWA TNA stuff. Like, we're just going at a breakneck pace um, through this. So, two stars for me, Jake, on this. But, like, this title change is completely forgotten, like, minutes later. Yeah, well, we'll see as the show goes on with one exception. Like, the matches on the show really don't have any room to breathe. Like, it's so fast. It, like, if you blink, you miss it. Like, it was just like some brawling tarantula boom, done. I mean, I went star and a half. I thought, I think Tara looks good. Even 2010, she's still looking pretty good. But, uh, 
yeah, it was like so fast. Like, especially if you're somebody watching this new and like, this is a mistake they make throughout the show. Like if you're trying to hook new viewers, I mean, I don't even think you have enough time to really establish who any of these people are for somebody no, who doesn't know who OD, who ODB is. So yeah. it's odd choice. Yeah, this is aggravating me. Like, what the fuck are you in such a rush for? You're on until 11 o'clock. <laughs> Why are you firing through this shit? Like, it's almost like they're, they're, they want to get to Hogan so bad that they're, they're, they're literally pushing time to get to it by just like fucking all these things up. Like, I didn't know who ODB was at the time. I do now, but uh, give this match some some legs. I mean, you blew the 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 X division one. That was a mess. That was just that, that looked that that match was one of those look better on paper kind of things. Mm -hmm. But this one, it's like, what are you in such a rush for? What what? Yes, Hogan's not going anywhere. So I I wonder if uh, I am curious if they knew that if it was if it was making the re the industry circles that brett was there that well i guess it was no they but. knew it was announced they knew brett was there yeah so they announced it on raw like two weeks ahead of time as soon, like, yeah, as, soon as this was going on they announced it yeah that's true i i wonder if well, all right let's put it this way brett being out was one thing but i wonder if there was any scuttlebutt that the brett sean thing was going to happen because that was definitely going to move on that, that was definitely going to get eyes so i get that they wanted to get to hogan bad but it's almost like they 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 were pushing time too fast and like skipping all. It, it just I don't know what the rush was. Just what are you in such a big? Well, this rush is what they, what they should have done is with three hours of time, slice the card down thin and give everything time to breathe and explain these people. Like that's the problem. They try and get everyone on and, and cram everything together. It's just yeah, it's I don't and, know. And, but you made a good point. Jake made a good point. Like I had no idea who the fuck ODB was. Right. So why don't you, you know that you're trying to get new viewers. That's the whole point of this whole fucking thing. Right. So why don't you tell us who the hell half these guys, I don't know who the hell, um, I didn't know who, uh, uh, who Kiyoshi was. I had no idea who, who, uh, at the time I really didn't know who Saban was, but you know, like, I don't know who any of these guys were. So give us an idea. What's, yeah, what's no, they should have, they should have cut the, cut the content with three hours, cut the content. Do some video packages on who everyone is. Treat it like the old Saturday Night's Men events, where like you're treating it like a like an audience that doesn't watch you regularly. So right, exactly, exactly. Um, all right, the limo arrives backstage uh, as Beer Money are standing there hanging out, and the limo door opens and Ric Flair emerges. He also makes a surprise debut. Uh, we had last seen him at WrestleMania, maybe since sometime after that here and there, but. For the most part, it was Mania. Uh, Flair greets a bunch of random people, heads inside as Tanae and Taz are freaking out. The crowd is pumped. We see footage from earlier tonight when Christy Hemi talked to Mick Foley. He's blocked from entering the building. He talked to Dixie and uh, Hogan and says he understands why they don't want him on the show, but he won't be disruptive to the program. He promises. We go to the ring where Bobby Lashley and Crystal are hype up the big night ahead. And Bobby's got a message for Hogan. Crystal says Bobby's a star in wrestling and MMA and no one can match him. And they shit on the fans. Crystal says Lashley wants an immediate release from TNA because they got better things to do than deal with this shit. Uh, we go backstage where Velvet Sky is acting sexy for a cameraman. She brings him into the room and they play some poker with the beautiful people to help the ratings. <laughs> they do some shtick. Uh, they struggle to make it work. Kind of a typical beautiful people skit. Angelina says she's the A of hearts uh, and they turn it into strip poker instead of A. She calls it an A of hearts. Um, all right. Before we get to the, the big return or uh, big debut here. Uh, Jake, any thoughts on these little promos here or Flair's return, et cetera? 
it just uh, not really anything particular, but just the pace. They're just firing yes. off these segments, rapid fire. Like, um, and I get it because they're trying to distinguish themselves as like, you know, if my critique of Raw is that it's sterile, I feel like they're trying to fight that by making it. And this is like TNA's whole, you know, MO usually is to try and make it feel so energetic, but sometimes they don't like it can feel so like almost too much energy. Like it's just firing off these things where nothing really even has time to stick. So that was my main with all these like rapid fire segments i mean obviously they were trying to time it so hogan could walk out right as raw starts right so i get that i I mean we're not we're not we're not oblivious to the fact that that trying to time this was probably making them all shit their pants well that's i mean it's a good point right so do a bunch of quick hit segments that they mm -hmm. can abort out of if they need to right right so I get that they're trying to line it up so right at 9 o'clock Hogan walks out as Raw starts. I get that. You got Hogan on one channel, you got Brett in the other. I get it. There's only one winner, and that's us, the fans. And, but it, it's not, they're not reflecting it as such. It it really looks like they're just like, all right, here's these people, and here's these people, and uh, oh, hey, look, Ric Flair, and then uh, these other people. And oh, my God, it's Hogan. Like, that's exactly what it felt like. And they could have done a better job of that. Uh, I, I had no idea Hogan. I had no idea. I had no idea Hogan. I had no idea Flair was actually, I don't even know if that was rumored or I don't know what the fuck was going on there, but I thought, I feel like Flair was already there, but I guess he wasn't. Um, it was weird. No, yeah, no, he comes in with him. I mean, they both stay for a while. Like they aren't like one and done's for sure. Oh no, definitely not. I mean, Hogan's there till at least what? 2013. And I don't know how long Flair's there, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean it's it's nuts. It's that uh, they're just kind of like they they're looking at the clock and they're probably all freaking out and everything. So I get that this is not easy for them, but they they probably could have practiced this a little better and and you know right maybe made it, made it look as ridiculously fast as as it seemed. You know. All right, we cut back to the arena. We get two more surprise returns. Scott Hall and Sean Waltman are there. So oh. of course, I mean they've both been in TNA on and off uh, before this, but uh, we go to a break. We come back and out comes Hulk Hogan. He's got an NWO knockoff theme, of course, oh uh, God, big pop so for Hulk, uh, tons so of merch everywhere. We got a vintage Hulk Hogan wrestling buddy out there. Uh, yes. Brooke, Hogan, Brooke Hogan's in the crowd. Uh, the crowd won't quiet down. So Hogan just kind of rides it out. He says they're making history tonight. He talks about all the great talent in the back, the young guys running hard, the old guys in the back ready to gear up to make TNA the best. Hogan says he spent all day in the back, even though we just saw him arrive. Uh, and that this is, well, I guess that was that flair, I guess. That, so yeah, it's, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said this is the day he prayed and waited to see all the new and familiar faces. Outcome Hall and Waltman security blocks them. Hogan says, let them through. They talk, they join Hulk in the ring. They kind of dap it up. Hall's looking rough here. He is super bloated. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> high sodium diet, perhaps. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> Hulk tells him he's all about the party, <clears throat> but then says, say what you got to say. Hall does his usual routine. He says, when he heard Hulk and Easy e were going to be here, uh, Nash has been here. That means big checks and parties and sold out arenas. And this came right out of the Christmas play, PTB, last year. Uh, Hulk says, <laughs> this is a different. <laughs> Hulk says this is a different time and place. It doesn't work that way no more, brother. Walman says it's the same people in the same place, and they're here to party. But Hulk says not this time. It's going to be different. Hall says Hogan's the biggest name and the highest paid ever, and now he's trying to change things. But things are changing in TNA. Hogan cuts him off and says it's time to grow up and do the right thing for the business. 
Hall hypes up Hogan paving the way. He said they made the millions and things have changed, but they're changing with or without Hogan. Out comes Kevin Nash. Hall and Waltman are excited. Nash hugs his boys. He says to let Hogan play his role. And Hogan says there's no role. He gave Dixie his word he'd do the right thing and change the company for the better. Nash says he's been talking to Hogan for five or six weeks, and that's not the talk they've been having and what made Hogan go corporate. Hogan says he's not corporate, that they're his brothers for life, but they need to do it for real. It's just a different time. They all pace around until Bischoff emerges to a pop. Back to 97 we go. Bischoff says it's been a while. He brings back memories. It says he reinvented the business. They spanked the gorilla and changed wrestling forever. Dixie's watching, and Bischoff says they need to be smarter, and he's the one that put the band back together, but he's learned it's about communication. There's been a breakdown. Waldman wants Bischoff to explain. Hogan says he's trying to tell them that everyone has to earn their position. Nash says he hears them loud and clear. The Wolfpack leave. Hogan reiterates that everyone has to earn their spot. Past relationships don't matter. The game changes. Bischoff says everyone's under the microscope. Hogan says change starts tonight. They're going to shuffle the deck, and they'll become number one. Bischoff says they're going to shake up the format. And he calls for the producer, which takes a minute. Bischoff says the format was fine, but they're going to start over. So he rips it up and gives them a new one. Hogan says, if you can't talk and you can't wrestle, go up north. We then wrap up as Sting is watching in the rafters. Uh, I mean, fine. A bit long and rambling. The timing was off. The NBO stuff already feels old. Hall and Waltman both look terrible. Uh, (laughs) You know, Hogan and Bischoff setting the reassurance, like, is smart because, you know, the talk like we just mentioned earlier is, oh, they're going to ruin what we like. The product is humming along. Here we go. So it's almost like this was a shout to those fans that may be worried. Like, no, brother, like, we're here to do the right thing. Don't worry. But then at the same time, you got Hall and Nash and Walman out there, clearly part of the fucking angle. So I don't know, Jake, where do you think we're headed with all this? Yeah. I mean, I guess we would have credit they were trying to use Hall and Waltman as like foils to say like, we're not going to allow this. Like Hogan's not right. going to let these. <laughs> but yeah, they were. These they young were punks fucked. get in the way. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, like even Waltman, I mean, Hall's Hall, but like Waltman kept doing all these weird hand gestures. Like mm-hmm. he was very uh, noodle limbed uh, in his cell. Uh, I don't know what he was on. <laughs> but yeah, like all the. And then the it's very like late WCW energy to this. Like, mm-hmm. and then I feel like it was very long. And like the only thing I got from it is like, they say change like 400 times. Yeah. But it's yeah. not really anything like that we could, like, I don't really didn't take anything away from it as any real tangible thing. And then when they get to the format sheet, that is like one of my all time most hated, like, oh, in, like know. WCW when they're like, oh, the four, like all these insider terms. Oh, we're going to rip I up hate, the format. Where's the producer? Oh, fucking, I hate that so much. So I was not thrilled to hear about the format sheet. Um, I absolutely, absolutely despised this entire segment. I absolutely fucking hated it. Uh, I wish Bischoff and Hogan just came out alone and just, why couldn't we have done this? Why couldn't we have done this like in a couple weeks? Why do we have to do this now? Well, they're trying to load up the show, right? Like with names. So, I mean, I get why Hall and Nash and Six are there, but um, because they're trying to set it up. And I guess by having them be the avatar for the bad devil on Hogan's shoulder, I guess is what it's meant to be. Right. Like <laughs> right. I'm going to ignore the devil and, and embrace the, the good in wrestling. I guess what they're trying to do, but I, ugh, I, I just, I hated it. I fucking hated it. I would have been completely happy if, if Hogan and Bischoff did a just straight up promo, you know, we're not here to, to, we're here to make it better. We're being serious. 
We love this roster. We got great champions. AJ Styles, our world champion, and da da da. da. We're gonna. This was just I, I the minute the minute that they came into the ring, I went. Uh, we're done. Click. Watch Brett. I was done. I, I yeah. I, I mean, they could have just had Hall and Nash and Six like watching from the aisle. So yeah. like you see them there and like, that's the talking point. Oh, what are they here for? Yeah. I mean, like this is like serious. That. Like this is serious. Like Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff are in impact here. This is a big deal. And you treated it like a throwaway skit, not a throwaway skit, but you made it too skitty too. I don't say kayfabe, but I don't know. It just, it felt phony already out of the gate. They're phonies. They're the show's fucked. That's how I felt immediately. And I like your, I, I I get your point, JR, when you were saying, I think Jake, you mentioned it too, where it's like, they're like, uh, kayfabing the, the, the shoot mark, the, the, I don't know, shoot marks, I guess, or whatever, who, who, uh, are thinking, oh, this is all just one big pile of 98 nitro bullshit. And thanks for coming in and fucking our show up because we've been pretty good for the last five years or four years. And now here you come and oh here you come the band and fucking drunk halls fucking fat and just, oh god it was just it was just rough to watch and 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 honestly Jake Xbox not knowing what to do with his hands for like fucking twelve years I think he ever he always looks like throwing his hands out he did that when he was in DX it was terrible he's awful um I, I just I, I hated it I fucking hated it I I it ju- I just felt automatically I don't want to say disingenuous. Because I feel like deep down they were trying to do the right thing. This was right. just a bad way to go about it. I think this whole story was crap. And I think it I think it took away from the moment for me. I think they could have done this in a, in a couple weeks. They didn't have to do this tonight. I think Hogan and Bischoff should have had the stage alone. And they could have done this bullshit later. That's, that's my take. Yeah. All right. Back to where we go for more knockouts action is Awesome Kong and Hamada take on Sarita and Taylor Wilde. Uh, Kong and Hamada challenging for the belts. Hamada and Sarita run through some offense until Sarita tags in wild. We get some more Lucha stuff. The Motor City machine guns, we see them laid out in the back. Kong comes in, land, uh, lands hard on Sarita. Kong and Hamada regroup outside. Sarita and Taylor hit stereo topes uh, to a nice pop. After the break, Kong and Hamada are in charge. They work over the champ. Sarita gets caught in a cross body. Then things break down until Kong drops Sarita and sits hard on her chest, but wild saves. Wiley gets posted hard, and Kong and Hamada finish with a double-team missile dropkick powerbomb combo, and we have another title change. Uh, again, it's fine, but we're flying through stuff. Not a lot of time to dig into the matches. The stereotopes were cool. The pace was good. Uh, but we're having big shakeups in the knockout division tonight, Scott. Uh, two and a half stars for me. Uh, I gave this a two. Why are we rushing now? You got your, you got the... I'm sorry that that segment was like 20 minutes of garbled crap. But why are you rushing now? Now you don't have to rush. You're in the show now. You already got fucked. Brett and Sean hugged. You're already screwed. So you might as well just keep doing what you were doing before you went to Mondays instead of making this rushed mishmash thing. Um, I've always been a big Awesome Kong fan, so I'm glad I'm glad her team won. But Jake, I just, what's the problem now? Why can't we? All right, you got your point out. You got the Hogan segment. You got trampled by Brett and Sean hugging. Now go back and do a regular show, you know? Yeah, I think, again, I think maybe they contributed, but I just think it's kind of their their style sometimes when they feel like they're trying to, in a big spot like this, they feel this need to, like, 
go hype. Like they're trying to show how fast and spontaneous the show is. But again, in this situation, I mean, it's a good match for what it was. Like it's a fun little sprint. Like the uh, the drop kick power bomb thing was pretty cool. Um, you know, it was a good fast paced match. But I mean, not especially for a title change. I mean, just not enough to like stick in your brain or even process everything that's happening. So I would two and a quarter. I mean, to me, the the problem's not the match. It's just the presentation, probably. Yeah. All right. The beautiful people are still playing poker. They're in their bra and panties. Val Venus, of all people, shows up. <laughs> uh, they kind of dance around his name, and he starts to deal the cards. Val says he only has a towel on, so if he loses one hand, it's over. Uh, look, I-, I thought this is fucking terrible. Like, you have these hot young girls fawning over this old fucking creep. Um <laughs> Yeah, it reminds me of, of the booty babe with booty man in 96, like the, the hottest girl in wrestling fawning over bloated, aging. Booty um, you know, we're digging deep in the bag of surprises here tonight. If we're pulling Val off the fucking table um, again. Yeah, it's just like, come on. Like, oh, it's Val Venus. So we're also fucking worked up. It's like, I mean, yeah, anyway stupid uh mick foley's trying to get through security to talk to hogan but they don't want to they don't want to lose their jobs the nasty boys of course show up they try and get in but security stops them as well security says he knows they're hogan's boys but security's tight tonight so they're gonna go to the front gate uh scott what'd you think of uh, val and the nasty showing up oh jesus fucking christ they should have said your name is rhymes with penis (laughs) we could use that we can't use your name rhymes with penis uh oh god Ugh. Fucking that. The minute I had to look at Nobs fucking asshole, I'm like, oh gee, fuck you. <laughs> now now it's now it's become a total rib. The yeah. whole show has become a fucking rib. Like if I saw if we saw beefcake at all in this show, I was done. I was fucking done. Who's left? Fucking uh who else are we gonna get? Haku? I mean, like, I mean it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, just, I mean, <laughs> anyone they can find here. I mean, Val Venus is so absurd. I mean, the like, Nasties to me is a little more exciting than Val because, like, they haven't <laughs> right. done anything in a long time. Maybe it could be exciting, like, to see them wrestle again. I don't know. Like, it's something. Val they at least is fit like, the theme. They fit yeah, the theme Val the is night. washed. I mean, he was into it for a while, like, to like 07, 08, but it's no one that anyone wants to see. It's awful. All right, back to the ring we go as Alexander Wolf takes on the Pope, Mr. De Niro. Uh, Tanae and Taz put over Wolf as uh, hard-working. Uh, uh, he goes through some arm work. Pope roars right back to a pop. Uh, Wolf hits an arm breaker. DDT cranks hard on the arm. He gets some cool submission attempts. Wolf fights through a comeback, misses a charge to the corner. The Pope heats up. It's a great RVD elbow, uh, but Wolf spikes him down. Pope dodges a Tower of London and gets a small package to steal the win. Uh, again, another one that could have been very good. <clears throat> you know, we're rolling out Nigel McGinnis against uh, Elijah Burke, right? Uh, D'Angelo De Niro. Like, yeah. that's a fun match, but it's an express line yet again. Uh, so, Jake went two and a quarter. Both guys look good, but man, this could have been more. And it really stuck out on a night with a lot going on. Yep. Two and a half for me. Some more thoughts. Uh, like a fun sprint. I just have to keep calling everything a sprint to like justify why it's so short. Like the, I thought the contrast was good. You have to like the athleticism versus the mat work, so that worked good. The limb manipulation was cool. I like that hammerlock ram into the corner. It was a pretty cool little spot. But 
Yeah, and it's not like they need to get 20 minutes. Just give them like a good 10-minute TV. I mean, if we're going with the WCW theme, let's do like a good old-fashioned, like, you know, 10-minute, you know, feature. Not feature, but like TV match where both guys get to shine. And again, if this, these are, you know, new eyes, we need to establish who, like, pretty much put it this way. Like, you spend the whole, like, three minutes of the match trying to figure, okay, if you've never watched this, who are the people involved? Okay, this guy's Wolf, this guy's Pope, and then the match is over before you can even, like, I don't know, like, level set what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I I love both these guys. Uh, obviously, I'm a big Pope guy. And I love uh, who doesn't love Nigel. But again, mm-hmm. what's the rush? What are you waiting for now? Now, you're not good at backstage stuff. The backstage stuff sucks. WWE is is not as good at it as they used to be even in 2010. So stop relying on it. Nobody cares the beautiful people are playing. Well, I mean, they're hot, but nobody cares. The whole point of Impact is you got this awesome roster of, of amazing work rate studs. And you're putting them through the drive-thru so we can get more of fucking Sean Morley or whatever the hell they were calling him. Rhymes with penis. It's like, I, I don't know. I, they really panicked. I feel like they really panicked. Well, I think they just tried to jam a lot in. Like, like they tried to showcase everything instead of just giving a few things some time to breathe. That's all. Yeah. It, it, three hours, it shouldn't have been that way. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not like it's, it's, it's two hours. It's ridiculous. It was ruining all, right. all these matches. Well, Jeff Jarrett's backstage, so that's that. Yeah! Uh, Jeremy Borash is with AJ Styles and the and the title. They talk about the debut of TNA, what tonight means in his title match with Kurt Angle, upcoming at Genesis. Styles talks about the need to beat Angle to carry the title with pride and be the best in the world. Bischoff comes in, does a sarcastic clap, and says he hears that AJ's the best, and he's the future everywhere he goes. Bischoff says Styles' Angle isn't happening at Genesis. Instead, it's happening tonight. And AJ loves it. So Bischoff already shaking up the format. Mike Tanay and Taz are excited, as are the rest of us. And then, of course, uh, one of our all-time favorite theme songs fires up. Double J, Jeff Jarrett heads to the ring. Jarrett says it's great to be home. Talks about being the founder of TNA and after a long career busting his butt. He says critics didn't give him a chance, but here he stands on a six-sided ring on a Monday night for the greatest night in company history, and he's proud to be here. He tried to convince Hulk Hogan for years to come to TNA, but now the timing was finally right. He's done good and bad things, but the most rewarding he's done is given hundreds of young guys chances like Beer Money, Motor City Machine Guns, Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles. Jarrett says, guys, uh, says with Hogan and Dixie and him working together, anything can and will happen. Hogan shows up on the screen. He says he's glad Jarrett's finished. And they're done with the gaga. No one cares if he had heard the word I ever again. He would have taken Jarrett out. Hogan says Jarrett founded the company but ran it to the ground. And if Dixie didn't resurrect it and give the young guys a shot, the company would be dead. Jarrett needs to get his act together. And his minority stockholder position means nothing. It's Hogan is now Dixie's partner. And the young guys get the real push. No one cares about Jarrett's past. But with Hogan and Dixie, TNA is going to the top. Jarrett has no voting power or stroke. And he should get his boots and get in line to prove himself, brother. Um, I, like this felt like an about phase for Hogan. Like, like Jarrett was kind of being positive and optimistic, and like right. Hogan shits on him after being like Mister Nice. It's like to make this work, Jarrett should have came out and and pissed and moaned, right? He should have been like, you know, sh- crying about this or saying he's, he's not going to lose his spot, etc. 
And then Hogan puts him in his place. But the way this went is like, Jarrett's saying the right things. Why are you shit right. on him? And I know some of the talk at the time was anti-Jarrett, right? So I think they're, again, they're doing all they can to make Hogan like a fan of the or people, you know, the people's guy, right? Like shitting on Holland Waltman, shitting on Jarrett, hyping the young dudes. Like they're trying to do all they can to get Hogan over, Jake. Yeah, it's weird because they wanted Jarrett to come out as like the, you know, for the hardcore TNA fans, he's sort of like, for better or worse, the face of it. And it's, yeah, it is like Hulk starts scolding him for no apparent reason. He's like, you know, TNA is the greatest. I built this company and I'm so glad we're here. And he's like, hey, wait a minute, buddy. Like, it's made no sense. Like, right. he, he reacted as if Jared had been healing off on the crowd. Yeah, and he wasn't at all. It's almost like he didn't very, even hear what he said. Yeah, very odd. And just like, I'm at the point where like, Anytime I'm presented with some angle where it's about all this like running the company and the oh, stockholder, yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm past that as like a wrestling story. So that immediately I was like rolling my eyes. Yeah, corporate structure, stockholder, like yeah, it's it's you know Marcus, I talk about a lot of war, like in the 2015, 16, 18, 19, like it's all about that shit. It's like mm-hmm. I'm not interested. If I want to watch, I'll go watch Succession again. You know what I mean? Like right, like if right. I want to watch a, a show about stockholders and minority shares and everything else you know i'll go watch that which is better than this um uh, i like jared i do i always have and complaining and i know jake as you're watching through the through the impact you know on the highway uh there are ups and downs of jeff uh that's for sure but i think this would have been a fun kind of get together for Hogan and, and Jarrett to kind of, you know, some of this had to be a shoot. All right. Not all of it had to be kayfabe. Mm-hmm. Hogan could have come out and just said to Jarrett, it's good to be part. It's good to have you part of the team. Let's make this great. And I think yeah. the crowd would have loved that. Why did everything have to be a fucking storyline? Yeah. I think that's what's annoying me most tonight is that. Can we just enjoy Hogan being here before we start throwing storylines out amongst him? Now I don't now or I don't some stuff. You know, Hogan maybe kind of glares at Jerry. He's like, all right, you know, I'll kind of give the Larry David side. I like, all right, I'll give you a chance, right? We'll see. Um, we'll see, right? And then play it out. Like Hogan coming in right. hot at him out of the gate was like a little bit much. Right. Just crazy. I just don't understand. I don't understand where, where all this kayfabing is coming from. This should have been much more legit, in my opinion, on camera than it than it, than it it was. All right. Uh, Christy Hemi's backstage with Daniels. Uh, Daniels is confident in his abilities, but Borash interrupts. This is Mick Foley's trying to get in. Bischoff opens the door and Foley pushes his way through and says he'll go through anyone he has to to get to Hulk Hogan. Outside, the Nasty Boys are still trying to get in. Security says they're not on the list. Bubba the Love Sponge comes out, of course. We get more Stooges. Bubba walks security away and sneaks the Nasties in. Uh, Bubba's such a fucking dummy, but whatever. Um, I agree. We go right back to the ring. We have Samoa Joe taking on Abyss. We get some heavy bombs right away with Joe winning the war, uh, hitting a great kick to rattle Abyss. Joe chokes and hammers away, but runs into a hard kick. Joe regroups. Abyss follows out, and they brawl out there until they head back in. Joe rattles Abyss with some strikes and a senton splash for two. We see Sting backstage standing solemnly as Abyss tries to choke slam, but he gets blocked. Abyss hits a choke slam, uh, clothesline, and a sidewalk slam for two. Joe comes back with a drop kick off the middle rope for two. Keeps pounding away, but Abyss catches him coming off the middle rope and gets a choke slam for two. Abyss runs into a chair shot, and then Joe finishes with the Coquina clutch. A pretty good Haas match. Had some energy and urgency. Good heavy bombs. The crowd was into it, but again, it's short. It was it was worked like a sprint. Uh, so I, this guy went two and three quarters, but like. 
as good as as fun as this match was, this is one we didn't need. So dump dump this. Give the extra time to whatever earlier. You know, this is where you can start to save this time, right? Like, just one match too many, right? Yeah, I agree. There was no need for this. I, you could have given. You definitely would have given Pope and uh, Pope and uh, and Nigel more time, mm-hmm. uh, or I don't know, maybe cut some of these skits in half, or stop showing the nasty boys, or I don't know. Why do we bubble? Ugh, bubble the love sponge. What a fucking waste of a human. Uh, it's just. Uh, ugh. Show was getting more and more frustrating as the night progressed. And um, I like both these guys. Obviously, Joe is in his prime here. Oh, yeah. So that's not the problem. But the match, match is good. This is, you know. But, but, but you could have saved it. Had Joe walk around and go, you know, look at Hogan, look him up and down and go, oh, fuck your shit up, dude. You know, kind of thing. But, Jake, I I don't know. I, I, I've never been the biggest Abyss fan. But I like mm-hmm. Joe. And... The match is fine, but it definitely uh, – it was a timing thing that probably could have been avoided. Yeah, I went two and a half. Match is good. Good bomb throw, bomb throwing here. Uh, but to me, it was like they almost like joined this in progress, which in my TNA lens, Abyss and Joe is easy like a big-time main event on a pay-per-view. And they just have it like – and I know it's a different era and everything, but just to have these guys show up in progress is kind of wild to me. Like – I, I agree with you guys. I think if you're going to do this match, you got to give it more or just don't do it because it just, I mean, these are two, arguably like two guys who are on like the TNA, like Mount Rushmore, you know, like you just throw them out there like match in progress. And they, like everybody on the show, they they did the best of what they got, but it's just not, I mean, I think we've got to the point. I mean, clearly matches aren't the focus of the show. So, right. Which, which is weird for a TNA, for Impact. Yes. But, all right, yeah. Eric Bischoff is talking to a production assistant and wants to reformat more stuff. I mean, come on, at this point, we're almost done. Crystal comes in <laughs> and says, ask Bischoff if he's got anything to say. Bischoff plays dumb about Lashley and says, what has to do with him? Crystal demands a meeting with Hogan, but Bischoff laughs and tells her to get a number and stand in line, and she needs to check her attitude. Crystal says Lashley will not be happy about this and leaves. The Nasty Boys are backstage. They're ranting about not having their own locker room, so they decide to take over Team 3Ds since they're away in Japan. Sax calls Bubba Fat, which is popped me, uh, as security comes in and apologizes for what happened. Uh, they give him donuts. Sax throws the donuts at a PA, says they want beer and wings, and then they eat the donut anyway. They tear up a locker room and spray paint a 3D poster. Um, like, we kind of joked about them, but I thought they were actually one of the highlights tonight. Um, I love them trashing 3D's locker room and just being fucking slobs and mad. Uh, calling Bubba fat while they're fat is a great, great gig. Um, <laughs> yeah. I like them. They're actually one of my favorite parts of the show tonight. I'm not going to lie. You fucking dopes. <laughs> I did like the spray painting of this picture. I, I will admit that. Um, Yeah, I will say this. I As the show progressed, I'm, I'm kind of thinking now that the Nasty Boys were there almost to kind of pull the curtain on, like, yeah, we're Hogan's fucking stoolies, and we're just here to fucking glom off of him and do really nothing. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Maybe we get a match with Team 3D, which is like, it's kind of a low-key, like, poor man's dream match. I don't know. Like, Dudley's versus Nasty Boys is one we never had. Like, it could be kind of cool. Yeah. But I I will say this. You you make a good point that it's almost like – they're there on purpose just to be a bunch of fucking lazy shits who are glomming off of Hogan's of their friendship. So it makes sense, Jake, in that aspect. 
I was like, all these guys just show up. Like, oh, Hogan's here. Let's all go. Right. Yeah, and, all go. He's like trying to fight them yeah. all off. He's like, no, no, no. Like, this. it's not like that anymore, guys. Right. So I don't mind that dynamic of it. I'm throwing the donut on the ground. And say, I don't want any donuts. And he starts eating the donut right after. <laughs> like, maybe I'll eat the donut. <laughs> Nobs, asshole. Oh, God. So yeah, no, they were funny. All right, main event time as AJ Styles defends the TNA Championship against Kurt Angle. Angle's locked in. He is so trim here. He's stoic. Uh, he's out to a big pop, as is AJ. The crowd is buzzing. We get a lock up right to the mat. Uh, Styles has a great drop kick. Angle bails out. AJ meets him with a dive. Back of the ring, a masked assailant jumps AJ. I guess he's been attacking AJ for a while. Angle knocks the masked man outside. We reset, which I'm glad. I thought we were going to get like a cheap DQ, but I was glad we got back into it. Mm-hmm. AJ heats back up, but Kirk cuts him off and smashes him with a hard buckle bomb. After the break, Angle's in charge. He gets a near fall. AJ comes back with a springboard forearm. He heads up, but Kurt pops up with a super belly-to-belly. Kurt misses a frog splash. AJ hits a Styles Clash for two. Kurt blocks a superplex, gets a frog splash for two. AJ counters an Angle slam, gets a swinging DDT. Angle grabs the ankle lock, but AJ kicks out. Kurt dodges a clothesline with a released German. Taz is hyping up the great wrestling that TNA has, and he's right. Kurt eats a back elbow. Styles gets a springboard slop drop for two. They fight on the top rope, and Angle gets a super angle slam for two. Angle goes back to the ankle lock. AJ leverages out. It's an Enziguri and another Styles Clash for two. Kurt blocks another Styles Clash, goes to the ankle lock, and drops into the heel hook. The crowd is buzzing. Out comes Ric Flair. AJ kicks out of the hold and gets a slam. Tanae says to thank Hogan, Bischoff, and Spike TV. They're staying with this match, no matter how long it goes. After the break, Angle and uh, AJ are grappling on the mat. They go into another ankle lock. AJ rolls free as Flair leaves. AJ gets another Styles Clash, heads up top. It's a springboard 450 and wins the match. Uh, a wonderful match, hard fought. AJ and Kurt embrace as TNA. Uh, TNA. Today, thanks, Hogan and Bischoff. A uh, fun match, uh, damn good for TV. Uh, not classic pay-per-view all-time quality, but really, really good. Um, it's an energetic capper to a big night. They went at a breakneck pace all show and in this match as well. Good job making this feel special and like a dream match. The crowd is into it. And a great clean finish to put over AJ. This is how you establish the guy for the new fans, right? AJ yeah. Styles looks like a fucking monster in this match. Yes. Uh, I, I like this a lot, Jake. I went three and three quarters on this match. Yep, exactly the same for me. Three and three quarter. It was balls to the wall, as you expect from these two, because it's their style. Um, finally, we've been complaining about it all night. The main event at least got some time, and they let them go out there and do their thing, which we should have saw more of, because, mm-hmm. again, this is probably what worked the most on the whole show. Like, uh, to your point, like, if somebody's watching this and they're more of a WWE person, they obviously probably know Kurt Angle, and you have this guy, yes. AJ, who's... Yep. And it's not like he's just winning, too. Like, he looks like somebody who's on that level. That Like, it doesn't look fluky. Or like, like who's this AJ guy? Like he look goes in there, goes toe to toe with Kurt, and then picks up a clean win. Just yeah, the counters were great. It built really well, and like climax to the finish, it was it was fantastic. It was like the opposite of all the other matches we talked about, where they were good but didn't get enough time to breathe. This right. one got enough time to build, and it paid off for him. Yep. I, I think it does two things. Number one, not only does it show, um, you know the person who doesn't know about impact how great aj is but it also tells wwe fans hey look kurt angle's not some washed up slug right you know he's a he's trim lean mean uh great main event great main event uh the one match they do let breathe you're right 
And it shows that, listen, our our champion, the guy at the top of our card is a young, exciting guy. Maybe he doesn't have that sachet that some of the WWE guys at the top do, but he could out-wrestle anybody anytime. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think eight, I think Impact's proud of that. And I, they should be. And that's why the match was amazing. Uh, oh, my grade. I think I gave it three and three. Uh, actually, I gave it four stars. That's how much I loved it. Uh, I'm an AJ guy anyway, and I love Kurt, as you guys do. Uh, perfect main event to book, and they went out there and they showed off. So worked perfectly. All right, Hogan struts back out. He's smiling and nodding. He says, AJ and Kurt are two of the greatest in the business today, and they have nothing but respect for them. They raised the bar to a new level. The situation will go on, and TNA fans have made history tonight. It's the beginning of the greatest rise ever. A stagehand comes out, whispers in Hogan's ear. He runs to the back. Mick Foley's stalking around, kicking in doors, looking for Hogan. Uh, he kicks into the poker game. Val is mad at him. He says he's interrupting something special. Val says he's not intimidated by Foley, but Foley wants Hulk. Uh, Val tells him where to go, and Foley heads off. He comes into an office where Bischoff is sitting in a chair. He says, this is Foley's old office, and Foley says he's an executive shareholder. But Bischoff says that is worth nothing. He's got no power or control, and he can get in line with the rest to fight for his job. Foley says he accepted he could work for Dixie and Hogan, but he'll never work for Bischoff again, and he's going to give Eric a reason to fire him. But before Mick can attack, he gets jumped by Hall, Nash, and Waltman, and they kick the crap out of him until Hogan makes a save. Um, so, again, maybe one angle too many here, but they're trying to continue fully getting pushed out. I didn't mind this, but, you know, maybe on top of the other ones, we didn't need it, especially to end the show. I would have ended with um, AJ standing tall, you know, and Hogan maybe raising his hand and had this earlier, perhaps, but um, or save it for next week. But I don't know, Scott, what did you think of the wrap up here? It was uh, fine in execution. It's more of a format question. Yeah, I, I, I think it was. I don't think we needed it. I Once again, we had because. Instead of ending with AJ, your young Impact World Champion having an exceptional match with a stud like Kurt Angle, we got to go back to the fucking NWO guys to end the show. Nope, got to end the show with fucking Nash and Hall and Hogan's fade. Had to end with it. That's disappointing. That's a lack of trust. I'm AJ. I'm kind of pissed. Like, Kurt and I... It's a lack of trust. I mean, they trusted him for the main event. I I think it's more that it's trying to do all this stuff and they thought the cliffhanger of Foley getting attacked by the wolf pack is more impactful whatever uh right. like they uh, gotta have something for next week right yeah or... i think they're trying to build a cliffhanger yeah, yeah. i would have just ended with aj and just dealt with this shit another time but that's just me what do you think jake yeah i mean i agree overall i don't think it was needed i don't think i had a whole lot especially with the stupid <laughs> Uh, the poker game, like oh, yeah, uh, I don't think gone. we needed to close the show out. With the, uh, like they were so serious too, like the Valve Mick standoff, <laughs> like, like you know that's not where you're thinking. Like, oh, what's in the last? You know, what do we want to leave with the last couple minutes? So right. I bought a Mick Foley Valvina standoff at a strip <laughs> poker game. It's just, yeah, it's just a little bit too much. Like, leave it with AJ. It's fine. No need. Yep, I agree. All right, let's get to our awards here to wrap up. Um, I don't know. I went with Hogan for MVP. Like I, I kind of tried to mimic Brett. Like he was the biggest star of the night. It was built around him. I thought he delivered in the promo, even though the stuff around him was shaky. I mean, I could see going with AJ as well. I could kind of take either, but I don't know. This night felt like Hogan and Brett's night. Like the two of them were the big focal points. I agree. Definitely. Yeah. I'd go with Hogan. Yep. All right. LVP. I went with Scott Hall. I mean, I think he looked fucking terrible. He sounded terrible. He was obviously like kind of slurring and out of it. Like it just was not the right thing nah, for him. He should not have been. He should not have been out there. He should not have been out there. 
Yeah. Oh, I also, I, I also want to do the co- like show awards as we go. So MVP Brett versus Hogan. I, I'd probably go Brett over Hogan. I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. LVP, I think Hall was worse than the Bellas. <laughs> so that's one <laughs> yeah. that. right. Um, all right. Best match, I think we all agree, is Styles Angle, which would be the best of the night on either show. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. All right. Worst match, I had Tara versus ODB, which again wasn't even that bad, but it was just kind of short. I'd probably is go that... to Raw Women's match. Yeah. It was worse than that. Know. Yeah. But that was the worst match on Impact, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But Maurice Bree was the worst overall. Yep. All right. Uh, best moment, I went, you know, Brett return to Raw. I went Hogan debuts on TNA. I think of the two, I'd go with, with Brett between the two, but I think Hogan would be my choice for TNA. Yep. Yeah, totally. I agree. Okay. Uh, surprise of the night, I just went with all the debuts and returns. I mean, those were all pretty surprising, I guess. Uh, whatever. Sure. Loading up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to go with the Vince up. kick is probably the best though, because like of all the yeah. returns and debuts, like nothing was that shattering. The worst surprise was Val Venus showing, right? Oh, easily <laughs> with a with a towel on. It's even better. So based on the awards, we we kind of are slanting raw, but I actually had impact a little higher. I went seven out of ten, um, and I did that because I thought they just delivered more of a total show. Like the matches were better. It, it, the excitement was there. Like you could tell it meant more to the company. Whereas Brett was like, it was a big deal, but it was like just a, an embarrassment of riches type of thing where they could just pull Brett out. Right. Like we're with impact. Like this was like their lifeblood moment. And I thought it delivered well enough that it was an entertaining watch. I liked the other matches they put around it. The nasty stuff was funny. Like it was stuff happening. So I gave them the slight nod, even though, you know, award wise, it looks like raw is the better one, but. Mm. I don't know. This is where I ended up. No, I like that thinking that this is this was life or death for Impact. This was life or death. I mean, they had to get this done. They had to have Hogan. This is a big deal for them. Um, but here's my thing. This was what I wanted to talk about earlier. In January, actually, Jake, you know what? I want I'll make your points, and then I'll because mine might go a few seconds. So go ahead. Yeah, I may go a touch lower for Impact just because I did like the main event. There was some good, and I agree with the excitement. Like, it definitely had more energy than Raw, but mm-hmm. I felt like what would have put them over the top? I feel like the old guys needed to add more, like right. something more compelling than what they did. Like, I felt like it was just name value and really nothing else. Like, they really didn't bring anything of substance. It was just a lot of like, well, things are going to change around here, but <laughs> right. uh, it, what is but it? nothing yeah. really. They didn't like set up any real interesting angle. They were just kind of there. And I feel like you needed more than that to really push this over the top. And then you had the debacle on the opening thing. That didn't help. So I'd probably go a touch lower. Like Raw, mainly just because of how experienced they are at doing this, probably is better. Mm. So what did you have for a grade for impact? I went five out of ten. I'll go five on impact. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go six for impact. Uh so I was thinking about this as as I was watching it. WWE into at the beginning of 2010 was still pretty good. We we've talked we've documented JR over the last you know three or four episodes at the back end of 09 that that the roster was a little little vulnerable, wasn't rock solid, but they were still putting on good stuff. Let's fast forward, not to not to go too far ahead, but we're not stupid, obviously. August, let's say August or September of 2010 when WWE was totally at its at its nadir. I mean, it was it's just unwatchable shit in like August and September of 2010. 
It's bad. No Sean. The Nexus is is garbage. Um, Cena saw to that. We'll get to that down the line. Um, what if Impact did this in September? Like maybe Labor Day night. At a yeah, I mean, time. I think you could argue they they went too hard out of the gate. Like you could argue, yes, they should have built momentum with Hogan and Bischoff, built and built, and then did a big show. But I can also see the counter argument that the hype was probably never going to be higher about Hogan's first night. Like I get why they did it. And the fact that they did it as a test run shows you they weren't sold yet either. Right. So they kind of just do it as a one-off. I don't want to lose that point that they didn't move the whole night because of this. Right. Right. Well, my point is they probably couldn't get away with this, but I'm saying don't even debut Hogan and Bischoff till September. Oh no. I think, well, I think once you sign them, you're going to go for it. Yeah. Because, they didn't I know Jody like, F was going to crater. You know what I mean? Like, how do they know it's going to? No, that no. You're right. That's, shit no, out later. I, I, no, it's true. That, that, that that's a good point. Like, you can't. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. But, they didn't know. I mean, yeah, but I mean, it would have been interesting. Say they decided by happenstance that they decided to do it in August or right. September, yeah, and and WWF is in the toilet. Um, who knows? Because Raw was just unwatchable that back in right. two thousand ten. So. I don't know. I just thought about that. I'm like, what if they did this at another time of the calendar year? Would it have would, would it have worked better? You know, maybe. Yeah, it's a tough going into the build of the Rumble. Or so, yeah. So, anyway. All right, we'll be back in two weeks, Scott, uh, with Royal Rumble 2010. Uh, yep. So it'll be fun to dig into that one. It's been a while mm-hmm. since we've uh, talked or ever talked about it. We've never have watched it either. Uh, Jake, thanks for joining us. Be sure to check out Ruthless Aggressive Podcast on the North South Connection every other Tuesday. That's Jake's show going through Ruthless Aggressive Aries in uh, mid-03. So be sure to peep into that. And everything we have to offer here at PlayStation Wrestling Network, PlayStation Pop Experience, and the North South Connection. Until then, we'll talk to you soon. And everybody, take care. Peace.